0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Eric, Isaac, and Caleb. Listen in as I discuss the 1973 film American Graffiti. Here we are, finally arriving at our, our final stop on the road to Star Wars with uh, American Graffiti. I guess not technically the final stop, that, w- that would be arriving at Star Wars. <laughs> but here we are, and uh, I'm curious for you, Eric, because I think you're the only one coming into this that had seen this prior. Uh, what's your experience with this movie?
1: At the dawn of my awakening with film, which started circa 95, uh, which is when I started taking films more seriously... Um, as a viewer and and started to feel more like a participant rather than just watching whatever random thing would be in front of me Um, it would have been in the late 90s when I probably saw this for the first time mid to late 90s Um, and obviously just based upon the the George Lucas connection Mm -hmm. um, I probably rented it and saw it on VHS at first um, at that time Uh, and then later in the year 99, it was the very first DVD I ever owned. Um, and that's when I watched it more. Cause I kind of, I probably only saw it once before that on VHS. And then obviously it was my very first DVD. So I watched it quite a few times, um, in college and I haven't really ever seen it since.
0: Yeah, and a, is that just uh, coming from wanting to check out other films, or, or maybe for this film in particular, just not having that pull to go back to it?
1: Yeah, just not having the pull, and I lost my original copy, and I definitely thought about replacing it, and I never really seriously thought about it until I heard about the 4K being released this year, hmm. and then and then I started considering um, getting it again.
0: Yeah, and how about you, Isaac? Coming into this for a first viewing, uh, being a Lucas fan, or at least were a Lucas fan when you were younger, I should say, did you have much uh, drive to check this out, or was it just kind of like, I'll get to it one day? It was, I think, the latter. I'll get to it one day. But the
2: other thing, of course, was I didn't know if this was available, say, at the video store uh, in our time. It probably was, but again, I, I'm I'm exposed to this during the everybody knows the famous or infamous documentary Empire of Dreams. Uh, this mentions both THX and American Graffiti, and there was a lot more, of, I guess, positivity with this one for Lucas. I believe I think he was a lot more not not that he wasn't unhappy with THX, but well, we obviously saw that there is a director's cut or the the Lucas special Heck. edition of that and i don't think this one has any special editions as far as i'm well, we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about that later but as for me yeah no, this is my first time watching it finally after so many years kind of hmm. kind of certainly excited for it this this time um and i i was uh i enjoyed it um i know there's maybe not much to talk about it because it's you know <laughs> it's kind of a slice of life uh, movie, but well, we'll we'll get into it. Caleb, what's what, what what about you? Where do you come into this? Is this your first time watching it? Is this like you know uh, another uh time
0: watching this, or where are you at with this film? Uh, first time, and if I was asking myself the same question I asked you, I would also pick the latter. I I never had really much of a pull to see it. It always felt like okay, a little bit of homework. Um, and that mainly comes down to. I always knew that this was held up as one of the great kind of slice of life coming of age comedies and that's just a genre that never had any interest for me. I've gotten into it a little bit more uh, lately cuz my partner really likes that genre. So she always pulls ones out to watch. But yeah, I just I never go out and seek out these kind of films in my own uh, volition. So, yeah, I have to kind of drag my feet to get to this. Um and yeah, there's definitely positives here. I I, I appreciate seeing it, um, but I did come away with a lot of the same experiences that I have with these types of movies. So I guess to spoil some of my thoughts, it was not a particular favorite. <laughs> but, but where should we start with it? Uh, should we start with the cast? or I don't know. Yeah, I also don't really know how to talk about this because there isn't that much to it. Um...
2: <laughs> Uh, Eric, if you could briefly, just very briefly, gives a give us, you know, give the audience members here a synopsis, a short one at best, uh, of what what it is we're talking about tonight.
1: Sure. So, American Graffiti. It's 1962, Southern California, somewhere in the deep valley, um, and it's, I guess, probably like a day or so after like the last day of school and we meet a bunch of friends um at at mel's uh drive-in or drive-through i don't i can't remember what you call those types of sonic-like restaurants but um it sort of centers centers around kurt um his is sort of the central story sort of and not really at the same time but kurt is dealing with the fact that, you know, he's been intending to go to college along with his friend, Steve. Um, and Kurt even got like a $2,000 scholarship from the local moose club or something. And of course everyone thinks of him as like a bright kid with like a big future in front of him. Um, but he's having like last minute doubts about going straight to college. Um, right after high school and he does not sure if he really wants to get on that plane to go to school, um, like the next day. So it's kind of like his, could be his last day in his hometown. And then he has like an array of friends, um, like Steve, Ron Howard and, um, oh man, the nerd toad. Um, can't remember the name of the actor right now. Um, like, yeah, those are his buddies and, uh, Steve's sort of like a regular all-American kid. Toad is obviously the nerd geek. Um, and then they have an, another cool friend who's like who's a little bit older and uh previously graduated, who's just kind of hanging around himself, uh, who's John, who drives like this amazing like 30s Hot Rod Roadster. Um, and then we just kind of follow them with their different storylines that sometimes cross and sometimes don't um, throughout the whole evening. The movie starts at dusk and basically ends a little bit after dawn the next day and we just kind of follow them around. I mean, that's the basic premise. I don't know how much more in detail you want me to go.
2: I think that's uh, pretty good right now. Thank you uh, for that uh,
0: summary there, sir. So, Caleb, where would you like to direct us? Um, I guess we could kind of go through the the different characters and discuss what we like or dislike with them. And I don't know if we should start with Kurt, because, yeah, his kind of story is the main one, or at least the biggest one. I feel like the one that carries the most uh, emotional punch. For sure. I guess I could start with my least favorite one, which is Steve's storyline. That's the one that feels the most thin for me. And as much as I like uh, Ronnie Howard, as they credit him here, as a filmmaker, I, I just don't really care for his performance either in this like maybe it's just the way the character is he just kind of feels like a like an asshole (laughs) but um i feel like a different performer might have brought a little bit more nuance to it this guy just feels like there's there's not much there and his uh i don't know struggling relationship with his this his girl like oh if we could just manage to hold off for the three months we can maybe get back together but neither one seemed particularly interested it's almost like more of like a feels like more of like a possession thing like, oh, I don't really want to give this this thing that I that, that belongs to me up. At least that's the vibe I got. And so yeah, I just I was like, Ah, I don't care about these two. Just break it up and yeah, go have a one night stand or something for your last night. But how about you guys? <laughs> Am I coming in too negative for this part of it?
1: I'd like to hear Isaac's take on uh Steve before I
0: very well.
2: Uh, so the, 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 not the basic premise, but one thing that uh, can contrast with some of our characters here, at least two of them, uh, that is with like Steve and Kurt, is that Kurt has the opportunity, that, don't worry, I'll talk about Steve, but like Kurt has the opportunity sure. uh, to go out to the world. He has this, Like you said, he had like, this, this club that he was in, gave him like a $2,000 scholarship just to go to university or college, whatever it is and you know he's having his doubts he's like i don't know if i want to man I just, it doesn't feel right i can reckon relate. Like. but steve he's the other one he's he's the opposite he's like i want to like get out of here as fast as i can like he wants to see the world and whatnot and some of his peers not just you know his his like three other buddies but some of the other people around him are like yeah you're you're kind of going too fast there bud like just just slow down or whatnot it's, like so it's it's very and it's very weird that how Kirk gets all this like yeah you should go see uh, the world and whatnot, uh, whereas Steve's like no I'm like he, he wants to, he wants to keep going places he wants to like go over the horizon, and uh, big you know the drama here is that his girlfriend Lori, um, she's she's not having it she's a little bit like you know she's gonna miss him I, I they have been together for a while now and I, I don't want to say like there's attachment problems there or whatnot. <laughs> Her attachment. Excuse, excuse me um but you know she I, she's not like i guess handling it well yet or she hasn't um she hasn't processed at all so that's where the drama comes from w- between the two of them and they even says like hey maybe we should uh maybe we should see each other like or maybe we should well you know i'm away um I sh- we should like see other people, you know, kinda of have like an open relationship and whatnot. And that's yeah. another thing where the drama comes in. Uh where she's kind of like, you know, fed up with him in-, in that sense. Of just like, uh yeah, how could how could you say that or whatnot? And yeah, she's she's just really not having it.
0: Yeah, which I because most of the other plots in this have a kind of sense of fun to them. That's the one that every time it shows up it just kinda of feels like a drag. And I'm just like, okay, let's let's get to some of the other more interesting characters. These two. They're just as, yeah, super flat to me. It's kind of funny because every time they they
2: did cut away from uh, Steve, I actually wanted to go back to see what was going to happen with him and like what his storyline, where his storyline was going to go. I think oh okay, either mm. maybe between him or Kurt, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong with Kurt, but I feel like uh, Steve has like the least amount of screen time. Uh, maybe his storyline. Unless I'm, I'm, I'm wrong on that.
0: That's that. You know, hmm.
2: you might be right. Yeah. Because I was noticing that where there's a part a bit I think in like the middle of the movie where they just go like back and forth between Terry by the way Toe A.K.A. Toad, excuse me uh, between Terry John and then Kurt and yep. and just and Steve and Lori like it it's just ha- and this is all in one night by the way hilariously uh, as as Eric said just I, I find that funny but we don't get much with it where the I mean yeah everybody's going like you know between locations around town. But yeah, just with Steven, like all, a lot of him is just, yeah, he's just like sitting around and there's a lot of like melancholic introspection on his part as his you know, mind begins to change um, and how, you know, he, he, he hurt Lori's feelings there. So may, maybe that's a issue you have with the, with the plot line there where uh, just the fact that Steve's not got a lot going on potentially. Uh, you're like ah, yeah no I can't like that, that that's maybe why you're you're not feeling too much with him.
1: Um Isaac do you generally like Steve or the character?
2: See that's the problem that's you you're bringing up a good point there. I can't tell whether it's I like the character or I like Ron Howard. Um right. that's the thing where I almost
1: <laughs> Okay that's fine. But 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 there's some element of you liking this character whether it's the actor or or just the portrayal or whatever
2: we've seen this kind of character before the one who wants to chase the horizon, the one who wants to, you know, go places and get out of the small town. We know everybody who does that, whether it's like, you know, if you live in the city or you, you don't, uh, where they, they want to like, you know, chase, uh, the new opportunities and whatnot, see the world, broaden their horizons. Um, you know, it's a very simple character and, uh, I, I could see Caleb's perspective, how, you know maybe maybe Ron Howard was the, the wrong kind of pick, not that he isn't a good actor, but maybe this just wasn't the right performance for him um I don't know like, I, I i wouldn't say he's like maybe not the I don't know if there's like a weak link in this entire like movie, but maybe maybe that's just me being biased
1: so I feel like I don't know we'll see what happens. Huh. I feel like Caleb is going to force me into an
2: apologist.
1: Position of this
2: movie. <laughs> oh boy! Everybody, get ready. Let's play. Let's play bingo.
1: Not Isaac as much, but but Caleb. I think. And well, we'll see where Caleb goes from here. But <laughs> um, I totally understand the criticisms of the character um, that Caleb brought up, and true for like the acting performance of Ron Howard. There's nothing particularly stand out about it. I I agree on all those points. However, I. I think he's perfectly fine, Ron Howard and Steve. I think they're um Ron Howard's perfectly fine for the role that he has, and I think his function in this in the movie or the story as being more or less the the most average every guy representation for a teenager in this time um I think if that's what his character is supposed to be. I think they do it very, very well. Um,
0: Oh, wow. Sorry to interrupt. Would you say that you felt invested in their relationship uh, tension?
1: Not a lot. Only a little. Um, So, yeah, no. Their personal relationship or the arc didn't necessarily draw me in. But the representation of who Steve was and who Laurie was, I really like not because there's anything special to pull me in, but because to me, it feels very real or genuine or true to life. Um, so I appreciate that aspect the most when it comes to both of them um, is that I think, um, yeah, they, they represent very well, like the baseline um, of a character Um Either in the real world in the era, or just in this type of story, I just think and, and that's always an important thing to me in, in any kind of no matter what genre type of film I'm watching, like do the characters' choices and emotions make sense in the context of the movie universe? And I think a hundred percent. I know there's like definitely skeevy, ridiculous um, notions in Steve's head in the movie. There's no question about that, and I don't champion that at all. It's just to me, it just feels so real, um, to kids that age, and and I get it. I mean, it just is what it is, and a lot of people that age, um, whether they're in the the boy or the girl's position, um, it's it's a tale as old as time, and and it's and I. Right? I'm fine with it because it feels accurately represented to me. And I kind of understand it at the same time. I mean, from a youthful point of view. Um, obviously, from like an adult-minded person, it's like, gosh, you guys are being so ridiculous. But yeah, that's what 18-year-olds do.
0: Yeah, and to be also mentioning how I don't really care for coming-of-age things, I don't watch a lot of teenage dramas. I find a lot of the teen-based anxieties to be just less interesting. And, oh, yeah, there's these two high school sweethearts who both seem like they don't really like each other very much anymore. They constantly argue. I just couldn't care less about seeing their relationship succeed. It feels like, oh, I'm sure you guys are going to move on and find people much better for you. Also mentioned, since you said uh, you feel like you're going to have to play the apologist against me, point down negativity. I pulled out Steve just so I can get him out of the way because he's my least favorite part of the movie. The rest of the characters I like a lot more. (laughs) No, that's cool. So just guy mentioned. That. <laughs>
1: I am not emotionally invested in either one of these two characters we're talking about. Um but I'm still okay with them. Um and I also have to say that yeah, um teenage coming of age dramas. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that has been a genre I've been deeply into since mm-hmm. I was quite young. Um generally most movies in that genre I like to to varying degrees. I'm um, like some extremely, you know, some moderately, some, you know, fine it is what it is. Kind of how you can watch like almost any horror film regardless of the budget or whatever production values. I'm generally like that with teen coming of age movies. Um and I've watched many um like teen like television teen drama coming of age shows over the years as well. That used to be a genre of television that I used to be very into. Mm. Um So, yeah, I have a lot of history with the genre. It was probably the most appealing genre I can remember in film at at a young age. Um, And this one, when I got to this one, like I said earlier, like when I saw it the first time, it was the first of this type of genre that I had seen that was sort of like a period piece. Aside from watching the Wonder Gear series um, and, and, okay, maybe um, the Stand By Me film... Aside from those, this was the first that was more like a traditional um, high school teen coming of age thing uh, that was in a different period. And so I found that very appealing in my initial viewings, like like from a historical anthropological point of view. I found it all very interesting.
0: Yeah. And that is kind of the even though I'm not really a fan of these types of comedies, I'm not sure what they're called. Maybe you guys have a better notion. Like these big ensembles where we follow very distinct it's almost like vignettes or something like that, or like a quasi anthology
1: yeah th- that type of storytelling or movie making is called picaresque um when it feels like vignettes um and a couple classic examples of that, especially for this genre, is um fast times at Ridgemont High,
0: yeah, I don't like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And um, Dazed and Confused. Um, Those two movies and this movie share a lot of DNA. A lot. They are Mm. very much all three in in the same wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, another one I was thinking of is like uh, uh, 200 Cigarettes. Don't like that. uh, that, I haven't seen that one. There's that one really famous one that takes place around Christmas, like a British one. A whole bunch of big British actors. I can never remember what it's called, but... people love that i'm not a fan at all
1: oh, i think i saw that movie i can't think of the name either doesn't it have um the master in it um the first new who master
0: oh uh david Jacobi or no 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 oh oh no you mean
1: uh no sorry john sim
0: yeah john sim
1: is that the movie you're talking about
0: I, I think it has hugh grant and bill nighy and just a whole bunch of different people i, I can't remember what it's called but but yeah I, that's just another bias that i figure i should put out there that this particular type of comedy as well has never really worked for me and part of it is because sometimes you get characters that you're interested in and then you get storylines that you're just not at all and it's constantly kind of between the two and
1: you're talking about love actually
0: that that could be right yeah i had a girlfriend who loved that and she would watch every christmas and every year i just
1: i absolutely love that movie and and i always considered it a a major christmas film for me personally but that is a different genre uh, I mean, I see how it's relatable to this, but that is much more in the rom com genre. And that movie um, sort of like reestablished that genre for like the next decade and a half because yeah, so brief. many films that followed love actually in the rom com department were like some version of that type of movie. I mean, it's relatable to this, but it, that's not a coming of age movie though.
0: Yeah, I just mean in terms of the story style, that kind of writing, or uh, uh, structure, I should say. So I just try to put that bias out there, too, that, yeah, I might be, unfortunately, coming in with some just pre-packaged things about this movie that I just can't help from disliking that genre overall.
1: <laughs> I'd almost distra- describe Love Actually as being more like, um, it is similar to this style, but it's more similar, to, I think it's Robert Altman, whoever the, is the director of the movie Nashville, and like the original M.A.S.H., Robert Altman is known for the, that style, and Love Actually is like a version of a Robert Altman film, if I have the right director's name, um, except it leans more into the comedy with Love Actually. Um, but yeah, that, that's a whole other subgenre, that Robert Altman thing, which um, I've appreciated his films that I've seen in the last two years, but I haven't mm. seen too many of them.
0: Oh, but uh, Isaac, do you, uh, do you feel like you have much more for Steve, or which maybe we should move on to another... Character,
2: yeah. Just give me, uh, give me a few more uh, minutes with him because I, 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 have been saying like now, I don't know. Like so this movie was uh, not just George Lucas. This was written also by two other writers, uh, and and oh dear. Now hang on, hang on. And Francis right. Ford Coppola uh, also <laughs> uh, co-produces, but also this is the introduction as well. This is important. The introduction. Uh, the co-producer was Gary Kurtz, um, who would then go on cats. Cats. Thank you cat, excuse me, Uh, he would go on to do the next three uh, Star Wars films, right? Or produce those, right? Uh, That sounds correct. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure Or wait, was he not on Jedi? I forget. Uh, He did some Temple of Doom, Howard the Duck.
0: Okay. Okay, there you go. That's what I was waiting to bring out. (laughs) Yes, this is the power team behind Howard the Duck. Uh, Written with George Lucas. He didn't write Howard the Duck but also with Gloria Katz and Willard Hayek or high duck. So, uh, yeah, my, uh, a team that I enjoy for a terrible, terrible film that for some reason tickles my fancy. Howard the duck. <laughs> so I was pleased to see them. <laughs> yeah. Make this terrible, terrible, terrible film. According to you no, 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 <laughs>
2: <Yeah. laughs> no, sorry. Um, but with, with Steve, I'm, I apologize if I'm going to get meta here. I'm, uh, this is just me pontificating as I usually do. Um, I wonder, like, I I'm, I'm, i don't know whether it was one of the three writers, uh, probably not Lucas, but no offense to him, but I don't know if they were like looking at archetypes, whether movie or, you know, just you get the archetypes in in real life as well. And if Steve is supposed to be modeled after that, so they went with that. Because this is kind of an ensemble movie, right? With an ensemble mm-hmm. cast. So if you don't like one character, like, like Caleb does, uh, then there's at least something else. There's another person's storyline where you're like, okay, I, I like this uh, This one seems a lot more interesting than Steve, so I don't feel uh, not completely invested in this film. Um, so I, I don't know if they were commenting on those kind of archetypes in real life, uh, or even the ones that come. Cause I guess, yeah, Steve is kind of just like the average guy, I suppose. Like what's he got going for him? Well, no, he's got that thing where, like I said, he wants to, um, you know, go out and see the big world. He's you know, the, the, the Disney Renaissance protagonist of, I want adventure in the great wide worlds in the in great, right distance. Uh, I want, I want more than this, uh, in this, you know, this, this very simple life. Um so th- I guess the idea is yeah we're going to like switch him and Kurt up where it's like you know by the end of the movie he's going to uh, appreciate where he comes from and Kurt's going to be like all right let's, let's let's go out to the world and see cuz I guess that's those two kinds of people and they 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 want to do that but what they need is you know well the the opposite in, in this case
1: No I I totally agree I think that was probably part of their game plan in, in creating the character and other characters um, I agree with everything you said, and I also think uh, the way you're describing him, like as an archetype or or whatever, where he fits in and all this, I guess he's kind of like the Ron Weasley in in the group, yeah. not entirely Ron Weasley, but I, I think I think they cross over a lot in, in terms of their characters.
0: Yeah, and just for a critique with him, which I feel like for me would have Im- improved that that character. Because, yeah, at the end of this, he chooses to move away from his his push-forward mentality and, oh, I'll stay here for a while. And I guess his main motivation was he just wanted to stick around for that girl. Do, do you guys disagree? Do you think that was his main purpose for sticking around?
1: Um, I think probably, yes. But I also, yeah, I was a little bit confused at the end because I couldn't tell if he was still gonna leave or not but maybe i just missed something
2: i think he said like yeah i'll
0: give it some time yeah he said i'll i'll be there next year yeah
1: oh yeah yeah i remember that oh i thought he meant like i'll be back home or wherever they're meeting up but okay that's fine
0: yeah going to the school
1: yeah I, i'm pretty sure it's about, it's about the girl
0: yeah and that's i i feel like it would have been more fun to see him like oh this is my last kind of like what happens with with kurt i guess but we're just falling in love with the town it's, instead of this very, uh, trite romance, that, that just, it made the, the, the end result feel flat. It's exciting for Kurt, a character that I like much more, but yeah, the Steve part of it's just kind of like, okay, that's, it just feels like the most, most boring choice for him. But again, I I don't want to keep hammering move, Yeah, Maybe we should uh... that's,
2: that's that's fair.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't feel like Steve's doing the heavy lifting in this movie. So that's why I don't really think about it too much. He's
2: nice. No, he's just one aspect and I guess just showing, hey, this is that kind of person where yeah. these yeah. two characters have been together for a very long time and so kind of losing them uh or them having a wedge between each other kind of like you know, they're they're meant to be together. I know that sounds boring, but you know, they they they're meant to they can't function without each other, so it's like, yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it can be boring. I, I will say that uh, I do prefer this film over Grease, over Animal House, uh, even over Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's almost like those were parroting this. Not really, of course, but I kind of like, and, and these are all, those are all like well after this film. So I'm surprised how straight, I guess, this film plays it, which I kind of enjoy.
1: Yeah, I I like all those other movies you mentioned for other reasons. Yeah. So I don't necessarily match them all up against each other like a head to head. But that being said, I still also agree that I do like the groundedness of this movie as compared to those other ones you brought up. Because um, this movie kind of set up um, where this genre was going to go for like the next twenty or so years in film. Um, this is kind of the one that kicked it all off. Um, In a way of what I was saying last time with THX, how so many sci-fi films have followed it, you can kind of trace the linkage, even if it's unintentional. Um, This movie is that for this genre, very much so.
2: And I mean, to be fair, uh, Steve did have to stay in this town because after that, he was, you know, (laughs) he had to stay in this town or else how were they going to film the pilot to Happy Days?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did find out because I was curious. I was like, wow, these these roles seem... uh... Like It seems interesting. Like I knew Happy Days came out after this. I was like, oh, I wonder if Happy Days cast him because of this movie. But it turned out that they'd actually uh, produced an unaired pilot that George Lucas saw for Happy Days, and that's why he cast Ron Howard uh, here. Oh,
2: okay.
1: I did not know which way that went. Yeah, I, was, but, um, I thought that was interesting. What's interesting about Happy Days, because obviously I watch it grow up, growing up, and what's interesting is that many... like. I don't know if you guys ever watched Happy Days.
2: No, I have. I've I've seen it. Yeah, it's too. it's actually a lot of fun.
1: There's sort of like three phases of it, generally, um over time. But the very first phase, like the very first season and the the earliest episodes, the first episodes of that show are actually a lot more grounded feeling like the way this movie is. Um it, it feels much more realistic and less sitcommy at the very beginning. But but then, yeah, it quickly becomes more like the version that most of us are accustomed to.
0: Turns into, like, uh, like Family Matters. Family Matters, I feel like, had a similar progression.
1: Yeah, and then once Richie leaves off Happy Days, then it basically becomes a modern sitcom where they, like, kind of like MASH. Like, it doesn't even feel like it's even um, supposed to be the past anymore. It, it feels like people cosplaying, like they're in the past. But everything else, it generally feels modern, like in the later seasons.
0: Yeah, and sadly, that's the that's the version that I that I always think of in my head. I think I must just seen more of that.
1: That's the worst version. I know. That's <laughs> the absolute worst version.
0: And every now and again, I would see some of the older stuff. I'd be like, "Whoa, this feels so much better and different." <laughs> and that's
1: stuff. yeah. That's post shark jump.
0: I was gonna say, is this, yeah, <laughs> post jumping the shark,
2: literally. Yeah actually can i can I quickly ask Caleb can I ask do you think this film does a good job of portraying the sixties um hmm i wanna say yes only because like again it doesn't look uh, because of george lucas like the the camera work and looking at it if this is like you know the closest thing to like four k on on my end at least I like it a lot
0: it does not feel like a seventies film to me no that's very true yeah film- filmography wise and or cinematography wise yeah definitely
2: thank you yeah you know, cinematography
0: <laughs> and costumes um i'm having a hard time saying because i don't watch and the ones that i've seen i i thought were just horrible i don't watch 60s teen comedies or dramas i that's just something i avoid and so i guess this feels similar to some of the ones i've seen and those are not good examples but this would be better than most of those but uh i, I don't know uh, eric what do you think
1: okay so when I first saw this, again, that was when I was first diving into film seriously. And so I wasn't the relative expert on like 20th century um, U.S. anthropology, like, I, like I've obsessed with since. And like I'm quite knowledgeable about that now because it's, it's something that I am just really obsessed with when I watch films in general. So when I first saw this, because of a lot of the musical choices especially... I totally assumed it was the '50s. Yeah, um, that's fair. And I totally thought that because at the time I didn't realize when the '50s aesthetic of the United States. I didn't. I didn't know when it actually started to fade. I, I know that now, but at the time I didn't. Um, but you know, now knowing that it, it is '62 or whatever, I think for the most part, yes, it does capture the time period very, very well, as y'all said. I'll just slightly differ from. Isaac in that while they pull it off really, really well, I can still sense it's the early seventies for the production. Um, there's little small, subtle tells, um, that I'm just extremely sensitive to. Um, but it's, it's such, it's not a big deal. Like it's, it's almost not even worth me mentioning that. Um, because overall, yeah, they just really, really pull it off for the most part. Um, and it's not distracting in any way. Yeah. Um, for movies, oh no, that's, a, I was going to say, because um, I was thinking of Lolita, which we saw some months ago. And <laughs> I mean, that was produced, um, what, in 62 or 63? So at least you could see kind of like how filmmaking was, and you could see a little bit of what teen life was like in a movie from that time. But, yeah, I mean that's it. Yeah, I I can tell it's the early seventies, but no, it's really done well.
2: One more thing with Steve, Caleb, what did you think of like the chemistry between uh, both actors with when it came to like the relationship? Was regardless of if you didn't care for it, do you think they like
0: uh, were a good pair, or do you think it didn't work out too well? Well, that's that's more question of intent on what the filmmakers were trying to say with this because I definitely feel that they're a kind of a caustic couple. Like, I feel that, um, that unpleasant energy running between them. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if we're supposed to see that in them. I don't think so.
1: I would say yes. I, would, I, I No, I, I feel like that is the intent.
0: Oh, but then isn't it even more bittersweet that he chooses to stay in the town with her in the end and throw away his first year of college?
1: Not for me. I think, again, as I said, I appreciate it because it feels very grounded in reality. Um, and these sorts of couples obviously existed and still exist in people this age and going forward, like past this point in their relationship, sometimes they work out in real life and sometimes they don't. And we don't know unless you watch the sequel, but we don't know um, if we just constrain ourselves this movie. And I don't know. I'm fine with it. And I, and, and maybe his staying back is a great choice for his character or maybe it's not a good choice for either of them. But just based on this movie alone, it is what it is. I know that sounds like an unsatisfying answer, but yes. <laughs> this is what I think.
0: But just, I guess, to answer, just overall, I just never wanted to cut back to them. I was never, I never liked the energy that they brought to the screen or their character dynamic. So even if they are selling it really well, they sold to the point that I was just completely disinterested in whatever was happening with them so
1: well i will agree it is it is the least interesting character and storyline for me to follow as well it just doesn't bother me but yeah it's, it's the least
0: yeah and that's why i feel bad we spent so much time focused on it because i know it's kind of funny <laughs> it is. i brought it up uh, just to get it
2: out of the way <laughs> That's, that's, do you not remember, like, you know, us talking for an hour about Jake Sully and Avatar? I know. <laughs> I kept trying to move away from it there, too. I know, that's definitely fair. Uh, I will say, at least quickly, I do like Laurie. I like how she kind of matches evenly with, with Steve when it comes to, like, quips, or how she can hold her own against him, even though, like, she still needs him. But I, I don't know. I just, I like Cindy Williams' performance. And, hey, she could have been Princess Leia, so uh, I, that's that's kind of why I admire her as well. <laughs> well, that would be weird. But, um...
1: Yeah, no, I, li- I like her in this. Uh, her acting and everything. Uh, because um, I know I'm not really talking about the sequel, but she, the actress and the characters in the sequel. And when they made that movie in 79, that was already like post-Happy Days, Laverne Shirley fame. So in the sequel, she feels more like her TV character. And I kind of don't like that. I mean, for this universe. I like seeing this version, like the proto version of her, rather than seeing her TV um, persona being in the in a film.
0: Um, but hmm, or uh, somebody else pick which character character to focus on next.
1: <laughs> you gotta do John or Terry next.
0: Yeah,
2: I feel like we should save Kurt till last because I know that's like your if that's your favorite character, we gotta see the best for last.
1: Well, I didn't say he was my favorite. But, oh, no, I was talking
2: about Caleb. Like, Caleb's um, like <laughs> Kurt is Caleb's favorite
0: character in this film. Hey, I didn't say that either. <laughs> okay, fair enough.
1: <laughs> but I'd say John or Terry. Which one do you want me to go next?
0: Yeah, I picked the first one. I That's why I was passing it to you guys.
2: <laughs> All right, we'll do Terry next.
0: Okay, we're going to go do old, good old
2: Toad uh, in this one. Eric, what did you think of Toad?
1: I always kind of found him kind of appealing um, in the movie in a comedy relief sense. I mean, it's already like kind of one of the first funny things you see in the movie when he's pulling in on his moped into the drive-thru uh, or drive-in. Um, Dine-in. And the actor, I forget where he pops up. Is it, I don't know if it's Closing Counters, um, but he has like a bunch of character roles like in, in uh, eight, early 80s films. And I knew him as that older version um, before I saw this the first time. And for some reason, just seeing him play like a nerdy teen, like he just seems so perfect for the role. <laughs> and I have just, I've just always like enjoyed him um, in this movie. A lot of his scenes or or um, mini stories or whatever you want to call them are some of the ones I remember the most mm-hmm. um, from when I used to watch this back in the day. and it, And then after I saw this as well, I just, I would just love seeing him um, pop up in films um, once i realized uh, his role in this particular movie so i just think he's great generally um, uh, i like his antics um, one of the scenes that has stuck in my mind the most from this movie over the years is just the part when he's trying to get the liquor um, <laughs> from the from the liquor store um, i've always remembered that scene and i've seen other versions of it done in other films and television but this is like the original for me of of the young kid with no ID trying to get stuff. And and it's like the oldest gag now, but the whole, okay, I'll take a comb, some batteries, (laughs) stick a gum. You know, I can't remember the name, but gray goose and, you know, and I, it's, it's just, it's the, it's the original uh, in my mind for that type of scene. Yeah. I, I like them.
0: Yeah, and for both those scenarios, the standing outside the liquor store trying to get booze, and the, uh, yeah, in my case, buying cigarettes and, yeah, loading up, like, oh, I'll just get all these things, and you just slip in the cigarettes. I did both those things many, many times in my teenage years, and it's mostly successful, uh, results. So it was very relatable seeing that, yeah. (laughs) And this is, I feel like this part of the plot feels the most dynamic, and it feels like there's the most kind of, uh, Yeah, maybe outlandish plot elements going on, and I think that most of them play off pretty well. I was always looking forward to any time we cut back to to Toad, or Tiger, in his his storyline.
1: And yeah, and then him being matched up with, is it Candy? Debbie. Oh, I'm sorry, the actress's name is Candy. Oh,
0: sorry. Yeah, Candy Clark.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but that's another archetype, I guess. I mean, not just her, but their whole dynamic, like the uh-huh. little bit messed up girl with a heart of gold or whatever. Yeah, it is what it is, but it just works. Even though it's predictable, I guess. Yeah. Um, for me, it just works. Um, and the pair of them, but especially her, um, retroactively very much reminds me of the relationship in the remake of um, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, okay. Um, with okay. Rick Moranis and his love interest. mm uh-huh. um, and like when I first saw her in the movie today, Debbie, I almost thought it was the same actress um, as the actress in the remake of uh, Little Shop of Horrors because they look so alike. Um, uh, the only difference is the one in Little Shop. She has this super high-pitched little girl voice. But other than that, they, they're like extremely similar.
0: Yeah, and Candy Clark is an actress I've seen quite a bit of. She had kind of a B-movie career after this. But during the 70s, she had an extremely memorable role in a movie I saw earlier this year, uh, The Big Sleep. Oh boy, does she... If you've seen that movie, you remember her in it.
1: I have not seen that movie.
0: So I was very happy to uh, see her pop up again so quickly.
1: Yeah, and not that she's not pretty in this, but she's really pretty in the sequel. Just saying.
0: Yeah, and she plays this super wild character who gets herself wrapped up in some uh, some uh, pretty crazy situations in... Uh, the big sleep and yeah if you if you like her in this yeah she's way way attractive in that so recommend (laughs) oh
1: i'll need to write that down Uh, no she's i like her in this movie for sure like she's one of those characters who easily could have come across as like boring or two-dimensional um but no I, i like her a lot
0: yeah and i i enjoy and yeah it is a bit you know maybe predictable but i like that she ended up enjoying this this chaotic date that she winds up on with this guy getting the car stolen getting into that fight even just yeah his little exchange at the liquor store and someone's stealing the booze too that's also happened to me as well some people just yeah they'll be like oh i guess i'm gonna punish this teenager trying to get booze illegal i'll just take their money so yeah very memorable did you get shot at i was never shot at no thankfully
1: that aspect was a little bit over the top <laughs> um it just that little bit the fact that the guy runs out and the storekeeper shoots at him, that little bit reminded me of like the antics that would happen in slapstick comedies in the, in the mid to later seventies. That's um, fair. Like that's totally the kind of thing that would happen in those more over the top slapstick comedies of the day. Yeah. Um Thankfully they didn't lean too much more <laughs> into that in this movie.
0: Yeah. that I, I prefer a more absurdist, uh, kind of comedy so i i don't mind those kind of moments seeping in there but um but yeah where else to go with this side of the plot
2: hmm. hang on i haven't even
0: yeah i haven't even said my my piece yeah 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 there you go thanks thank, thank yeah, you sorry
2: uh yes yeah, so we have we have you know terry he's he's the he's not not stereotypical but he's the the point dexter type uh he he probably seems he has some uh, intellect to him because he got the, the, the glasses there. Uh, and he's, he's the one, I guess, nerdy kid or whatnot who wants to have a date. He's been given the keys. He's been given Steve's keys to his good old vehicle. And <laughs> as as we see, he's not the, the best driver or whatnot. <laughs> I love that first <laughs> scene where he's like, you know, pulls him with his vest button. And it's still like, you know, he, has, he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't turn it off and then it like smashes right into the uh, – Garbage can there that was hilarious, and I I love that little bit in the end, uh, not end but like you know when when they're back at the dinin or, or the diner, excuse me, uh, where you actually see <laughs> Vespa is still there and they haven't done anything with the, the trash cans. That's that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, he he's you know wanting to use you know the fact that he's got he got this opportunity of using. Steve's car to you know, you know, go around town and kind of you know like prove himself to some people, uh, yeah. you know, whether he's going to pick up chicks or whatnot, or you know start racing people you know, like you know rev up his engine and whatnot to to race some buds. Just um, at that light, and then it turns out it's a it's a green arrow uh, left turn signal, and he's about to go. And he backs up and smashes that other guy, and it's that was, that was a funny one as well. They they actually used both those bits uh, for footage when they were talking about uh american graffiti and empire of dreams and i remember so i remember that very clearly that was a lot of fun there um but importantly for for john at john for for terry excuse me uh he has old harper by the way that's the that's the um drink that he was trying to uh get uh his hands on um i don't know if that's a drink at all like a real one i assume it is um Mm -hmm. but the uh, big thing, the big important thing is that there is there is setup. This there's there's a, there's a setup with with him, uh, and that's involving uh, a certain character who you know he encounters with with this hot rod, where he's like, "All right, I see this guy with this cowboy hat. He's gonna rev the engine, <laughs> and the other guy like revs his engine, and it sounds like the Millennium Falcon. It's like, oh, ah, yeah, I don't stand a chance there." So you know, and and then he mentions something to him, was like, "Hey, you know where where um, John is?" So that's, that's a, we'll put a pin in that. We'll, we'll definitely put a pin in that. So that's, that's important set up there. Um, but yeah, him, you know, like, uh, as yeah, not to repeat everything you guys say I love the fact yeah, that he you know, goes, he speaks highly of himself and he starts, you know, making up this all imaginary stuff, like hullabaloo and stuff. And just to like, you know, impress Debbie, that was, yeah, no, that was, I liked, I liked her as well. I liked, you know, she, it would seem like, you know, she'd be the typical, like, you know, I, I gotta say this quick, but you know, like where she's not exactly, I think people will call her like an airhead for instance, where it is not there, but she really is there. She's, she's got, there, there's some stuff there, even if she has had many like, you know, boyfriends or whatnot, I feel like there's, there's some stuff to her there where she's kind of adventurous as well. Where love when they're in the woods near the canal, she's like, oh, the, uh, the, the hookman man or, or whatever it was. You know, <laughs> oh yeah. I like that one that's gonna, like, you know, tear people's heads off or, or whatever and put your head, like, in the place of your arm or something like that. I'm like, all right, I kind of like that she's a little bit adventurous and he's the... um diminutive one i know people might be like oh he's emancipated or whatever or whatever <laughs> sorry i forgot the term emasculated thank you emasculated <laughs> and over him it could be both yeah it messes up. it's like stalactites and stalagmites but uh you know he's he's less of a man and she's you know more of a man than he is i don't I don't really care about that i just i like that dynamic, dynamic there and even in the end she still like you know likes him for who he is even if he did lie about all stuff like <laughs> i got a cheap at home i used to you know, hunt animals. When I got a bunch of guns, I got a Jeep. Like on the Jeep, I have like a gun rack. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. And you know, you think that she would leave them in the end, but no, she she enjoys it. And
0: hey, she's kind of into Vespas because they're the closer closest thing to motorcycles. Yeah, and I I just wanted to mention since you brought up that little uh her telling the story about I think it was the Goat Head Killer or something like that. The goat. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, the Goat Head Killer. I love that in the background. I couldn't tell if it was meant to be diegetic or just for the audience. They're constantly playing goat noises as she's talking. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Well,
1: it definitely becomes diegetic, um <laughs> when they're walking off, and then he's like, "What's that?" Because um, uh, in the cl- yeah, in the closed captions, it mentioned the um, well, how, what, do you, what do you call the sound of a goat? Uh, um, I don't know if it was nay or whatever it was.
0: Bah. Well, but they they make it confusing because wasn't it Steve? Wasn't it just him walking around in the the woods? Yeah, because Steve shows up, right?
2: Oh, I
1: I, I thought I thought. I thought it was when it was still Terry and Lori, and he's, like, afraid, and then there's, like, a sound of a goat as they're walking.
0: Yeah, he doesn't he show up right after they're talking about the killer? Yeah.
2: Soon after, yeah. Well, because, so he, so Debbie goes to, like, investigate something, I, I don't remember what it was, and then he stands there, he's, he's sitting there, and he's, you know, muttering to himself, and then, like, you know, turns his head, turns back, he's like, Debbie, where'd you go? And then, like, for, you know, a brief few seconds, he's,
0: like, you know, alone, and then Steve yeah. shows up.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's around that time. Yeah, the sound with okay. the goat. So
0: yeah, maybe there was a goat. Yeah, I couldn't quite tell.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was meant. Yeah, to be in the universe.
2: I think this is this
0: is just very random. Part
2: part of me for saying this, but there was a bit where you know he he throws up and then fi- he finds he uh, finds Steve's car after it gets you know hijacked um, and or Grand Theft Auto, excuse me, and then you know he's he's trying to hotwire the car and then these you know two punks show up and and try I th- I think maybe it's one of them but there's a there's a char- there's an actor in this called I don't know if it was one of him or not but it was, uh, there's an actor in here called Johnny Weissmuller Mueller Jr. And I'm pretty sure that's the obvious it's the son i i assume of johnny mm-hmm. weissmuller Euler, excuse me um the famous tarzan actor so i just want and i think i believe she was also listed in the credits of thx so i guess he's a oh, returning yes. uh character or an actor I, I suppose but yeah i just i just want to throw out because i liked you know his father as as tarzan so you know, just...
0: yeah no that's fair no that's cool um and i did want to point out as well you brought up um him going out cruising looking for uh Either to pick, to, to show, show himself up as being cooler than he is, or maybe to pick up a chick. Yep. When he comes across Debbie, oh man, this, this, <laughs> she's just walking down the street. And we see all these creepy ass bikers. They're whistling and howling at her, and they're even bending down to, yeah. like, look up her dress. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah. And she's just trying to keep quiet and keep, like, not drawing attention. And then he pulls up and starts harassing her, too, asking if she wants a ride. And she's just not even looking at him, just shaking her head. I was like, oh, there's a little peak of, uh, disturbingness creeping in. And we get a little bit more of that in John's story as well. There's creepy yeah. hound dog men running around. Yeah, no, that's, isn't, that's not the case. And I think, I, I guess
2: Terry's story kind of ends, not, not early. He's, I guess, yeah, his is like the earliest to finish. Cause she leaves, I think before the, the race, right? Yep. She does. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So his, yeah, his story is the first to complete Uh, or at least resolve, excuse me. So, um, yeah, just I guess that tidbit there. Yeah, and so does that bring us over to John? Anything else, Eric, from uh, Terry?
1: No, just that there's... um, Yeah, I don't think Old Harper uh, is a real thing. There is an IW Harper that's a real whiskey. Okay. But I don't think there's an Old Harper.
2: No wine, I know that for a fact. I guess we now go to John, uh, the Anakin Skywalker-looking... Um, tough oh. guy, but he's a he's you know he's a jerk a uh, jerk with a golden heart or whatnot. Uh, who's got who got had, rides around town in that hot rod of his with the um, license plate numbers T H X one three
0: eight. Yep, <laughs> got to get that little reference in there somewhere. Which did you guys like that or was that a little bit too much? No, it's fine.
1: <laughs> no, I liked it, and I never knew it really, and I didn't, I never really saw it until today. I may have read it at some point in the last 10 years, but uh, this is my first time noticing it. So I never noticed it before. And no, I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I definitely also noticed the there's like a cinema in the background at one point And they're playing Dementia 13. So I was like, oh, there's no little callback for uh, Francis Ford Coppola, his first feature. But um, so, John, yeah, this. What do, What do you guys think about this one? Eric, you go first.
1: I like John. I love John. John might be my favorite in the movie. Hmm. I mean, there's not much to him other than what you kind of already explained um, about his character. I mean, yeah, he comes off as just a typical jerk um, initially. Uh, but um, no, but at the end of the day, he's he's, he's just a good old boy in, in the best possible sense. Oh, no. In the best <laughs> possible sense.
3: Yeah,
1: And... Uh, no, I I just generally like him and I understand his plight very well. And there's often these types of characters in these types of genre films. Um, the one who's a little bit older and kind of still hanging around and not really going anywhere personally who, yep. who the kids in high school idolize. Yeah. But it's very obvious that that's not really how the character feels on the inside about themselves. That yeah, they're they are chasing their youth, but but that's kind of really all they got. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, definitely um, a uh, familiar archetype for this genre. But I also remember I knew a few guys like this when I was in high school, like the recent graduates, <laughs> and I always detested those guys in real life. I always thought, God, you're such a loser. You're such a loser. Um, that's how I used to think when I was a teenager myself. But uh, but oh, yes. just what goes on with him, and then having the dynamic of Carol Mackenzie Phillips. I just love those two. Um, I they're probably my favorite pairing in the movie, and I don't mean pairing romantically, but pairing, yeah. just being alongside each other. Um, like for their storyline yeah i i I like them and i actually like her a lot too to be honest um yeah they're probably both my favorite characters in the movie
0: yeah it's one of the things that stands out because it feels like one of the more unique kind of dynamics for this this type of movie you take this kind of late greaser type stand-in character and then pair him up with this just little kid who wants to have fun and he's just out cruising too he's looking for some some chick to to hook up with winds up with this little 12-year-old kid. I think there's something, yeah, just fun about that. And about him kind of softening with her. I like I like that quite a bit. And I'm glad they didn't lean too much into, like, some sort of creepy romance thing. Even if it wasn't, even if it was just, like, one side on her part. It might have taken away a little bit from the fun. So I'm glad that they didn't uh, go in that direction.
2: <laughs> uh so yeah, sorry. Just for, yeah, my, my apologies. Uh, I'm looking at the scene right now, uh, where where Terry and Debbie are having drinks out near the canal. Sorry, this is this is I think poignant where he he's you know so trying to get that um, what was it the uh, the, the 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 old, uh, what was it called again? Old Debbie, not old Debbie, uh, old Harper and. I think I just saw that he uh, put what is it? He had like Coke or something like that. Like yeah, he put yeah. like he was drinking a Coke and she was drinking the rum or the the well, yeah whiskey. Excuse me. So that's kind of it's kind of funny. I never I never noticed that until now.
1: I don't. I well I didn't pay attention that much. I thought he, I just assumed that he was just making. Um, that's what I thought. Whis, whiskey and Coke for both. Oh, okay, yeah.
2: that's what it was. Okay, never mind. I thought that. And also, I, I just want to say I love uh, his shirt, by the way. I love how, like, it's pink. And I don't know. I just, I, I like that. I definitely want to get a shirt like that for myself. I thought it was really attractive. John, uh, aka <laughs> Proto the Fonz, I guess. Literally feels like it. Um,. Yeah, I, I I like him a lot. I think the relate like I, I again I kind of agree with Eric where the the relationship between him and Carol, uh, is is really attractive. And I don't mean that. hold on a second. I just mean that in the sense of it's it's nice to look at because it feels genuine. And they, you know, they they start off their relationship basically. They they, they become like you know friends. And yeah, they're they're kind of ribbing at each other. They're they're you know throwing shade at each other every now and then, but. In the end, yeah, they. they I, I like how it becomes. It's a friendship in the end, and that's. I guess you know, it's it's a little less caustic than say, uh, Steve and oh, what's I refer. I I Laurie. apologize, Lori. Thank you. Uh, like so, Caleb. That's definitely you know a plus for you on that one. Um, yeah, the the uncomfortable scene, of course. I think Caleb was mentioning before was you know she gets in the car, whatnot, and um, when the police men, you know get some i i wanna talk about the scene as well, but <laughs> when you know right before the policeman comes in uh it's like you know if you if you don't do any if you uh, unless you like say these words i'm gonna say that uh you've sexually assaulted me, but they use the other word it's like ew, that's 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 something but hey it's 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 definitely true
0: well well yeah, there was that bit which definitely you know felt dated not a funny <laughs> unless unless you're watching modern. Uh, bollywood films where it comes up a lot of times and supposedly comedic uh exchanges yeah different culture. i've actually seen a scene that plays almost identical to this in a, a Bollywood movie i watched from uh, a year or so ago
2: well different cultures so maybe they, they they're still okay with that
1: for me it's, it's it's a it's a zero burger for me
2: yeah i figured uh, of course for you because
1: <laughs> well not just that but again just in in the context of the movie and the period. And even if the period was the 1990s or 2000s.
0: Did it play funny for you?
1: No, I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it, it was just real.
0: As a matter of fact, that's what that's what Eric kind of saw it as. As a matter of fact.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a matter of fact. No, I didn't think it was funny.
0: Do you think it was meant to play as funny?
1: Um, the the her making the threat, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think it was... But I think what was... But what I think what doubled down more on the funny, I can't remember if that was the exact same scene or not, but when he, I think it's just before that when he tries to hide her and he puts like her head down in his lap. Yeah. I think that was,
0: that like, was funny. A little bit, yeah.
1: yeah. Like we in the same vein, I guess is going for funny. Yeah. I think, I think it was, I think it was meant for funny, but I'm, I don't respond to comedy like quote unquote normal people do. So that's why I didn't find it humorous personally, but that's because I'm an oddball. That's not the movie.
2: Yeah, no, and that the, the, and she was like, "Is this what they call cupping a feel?" It's like, "Whoa, okay,
0: fair enough."
1: Yeah, that a good. That yeah, no, that's a good scene though. That one.
0: But I more meant in the end, I, you know, I could see them pushing it at the end of her being like, "Oh, she, you know, was attracted to him and wanted to end it," as if it was a date, which they they sort of do. I was glad that they played it back more instead of, yeah, maybe leaning into it to make it more like sappy or something. That that side of the plot was always more fun. And it was nice to have one side of it that wasn't about <laughs> I guess just base sex pretty much for the other three plots. Yeah, thankfully. It's not like Kurt really knew the chick that he was going after this whole time. It was just uh yeah, it was more sexual in that way. It, well, we'll get more into that. It's there's there's more to it than just that, but
2: anyway, I like uh sorry, I, I like the 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 part with the policeman uh where you know him and him and John basically know each other. He's just like, "How you doing, John?" Ah, it's it's all right. Well, what, it was a John Wick film? Um, but it's like, yeah, the policeman is you know he's always he's always after John. But the the, the cool thing about that is that the you know he keeps giving him these tickets, and I love how you know he gives Carol <laughs> like you know the ticket, and then she opens up like the side pocket or wherever it is, and just like you see a lot of crumpled other tickets that he's probably never paid for or whatever demerit slips. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. and then he like. Um, I, I like the, the sheriff's. Like you know, um, you know, even though I'm I'm giving you a warning here or whatever the slip, uh, I'm not gonna get find you just yet. Yeah, I'm not gonna get because I want to see you like you know, uh, do, catch you in the act. I'm like I kind of like that. That's uh, that, that's 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 something cool with uh, with uh, that adds to John. The
1: way you described it, you reminded me of um, the Looney Tunes cartoon. I think the character in Looney Tunes is a wolf but he looks like exactly like the coyote. Yes. But he's, but he's not the coyote. I think he's a wolf. It's like
2: proto coyote. Yeah. Uh,
1: and it's him. And I don't know what type of dog that's supposed to be with the hair that or the fringe, the bangs that cover his eyes. And in the Looney Tunes cartoons, they always like meet up at the beginning and they like clock in. And then they go into their antics of him trying to steal sheep and the, the dog, you know, catching him. So the way you describe their relationship reminded me very much of those Looney Tune characters.
2: One way of putting, it, I like that a lot. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, I I think I'll say we'll save maybe the race for the end, if that's okay with you guys. Unless you want to talk about it no, now, just because that's that's kind of where like all the no. plot lines sort of merge together.
1: Yeah, that's fine.
2: Caleb, are you okay with that, or do you want to like you know just talk about it? Yeah, now? that's fine. Okay, yeah.
0: What I will say is another thing that I really enjoy about this movie overall, and it mainly crosses over with John and uh, Terry's side of the plot, is I really enjoy all the kind of worshipping of the, the car scene in this little, this little town. Uh, so getting to see all those shots, them driving around, just talking to random people in, in other cars around you, I think all that stuff has a really quaint and, and fun uh, quality to it. It was actually making me think of a movie that Eric very much didn't like, but that uh, I like a whole lot called Pit Stop, which is also about kind of a small town uh, uh, racing scene, a little bit more focused on the actual professional racing, but I always appreciated uh, yeah, car movies in general. So so I definitely like that aspect of this one.
1: I mean, those aspects on the street in Pit Stop, those were fine. Just the movie overall, yeah, not my cup. But um, yeah, of course I like all that stuff that you're talking about, the cruising um I mean that's what kind of one of the most memorable aspects of this movie I think for people who are fans of it. Um and when I was in high school um not because of this movie but um I I was living I was living in that world in my world. Um I I me and my friends in high school were definitely into cruising um and it was very It was more similar to how you see it portrayed here than it was different. Like our version. um, Extremely similar. Because for me watching it today, me as a viewer today, it kind of annoyed me how often they were going up and down the same street. Like like I was just picturing them shooting like literally on the same street over and over (laughs) and over over again. Mm -hmm. That kind of bothered me now. But on the other hand, when I used to do it myself in real life, That's literally how it goes. So, I mean, it just is what it is. It's a little bit repetitive for me in a film now, but it's true to life again. Um, And so, yeah, of course I love that stuff. Uh, I was going to say, um, did you guys notice, I mean, during the Carol John scenes, did you guys notice like the reference or the connection to um, Mandalorian?
2: Nope that came out of nowhere cuz there's
1: a, there's an ongoing gag in the Mandalorian series that is definitely a callback to a particular um John Carroll scene.
0: Uh, laid out for me. I don't I don't pay that close attention to the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, unless like you have to explain it it's over my yeah, head.
1: Yeah, but it's not it's not subtle in the Mandalorian though. It's not subtle at all. And it's it's done it's it's called back to multiple times in the Mandalorian. Um it's uh when Carroll starts noticing um the knob on the gear shift
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh yeah that thing yeah do you guys remember that in mandalorian now
2: no oh no. no i just said like oh yeah the little like you know gag not a gag but the little thing that connects the two of them together and he gives to her in the end
1: but wow kaylee we don't recall i mean they call back to this like i don't know six or seven times throughout mandalorian like all seasons um
0: i i feel like i remember one scene of yeah him handing something like that to grogu but but i only watched it all once i did not pay that close of attention
1: yeah it's one of their first like bonding moments um early in the series um where grogu is like obsessed with the knob on one of the controls Uh, i can't remember the name of the ship right now but um uh, but he's like obsessed with it and he's always like taking it off he's always trying to play with it
0: okay yeah you're sparking some memories saying it but
1: yeah, and Mando's always trying to um, uh, get it back, and it's not a toy, and he's always putting it back, and and the the way they use that dynamic specifically around the knob in the Mandalorian series overall, um, the back and forth with it throughout the series, like reflects like where their relationship is as as you go through, and it plays a key moment, like in season two as well um uh yeah and when he um spoiler mild spoiler when uh mando loses his ship it's like the one piece that survives that that he takes with him um so yeah definite definite callback to this movie without question and obviously there's it's not exactly the same but there's obviously similarities with mando and grogu's relationship and, and these two
2: one, one thing that was odd to me, uh, or at least one thing I noticed is that I think he's got a pack of darts in his, like, in his t-shirt, but it's like near his shoulder. Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's camels. I I, th- I figured it because it looked like the camel itself. And I'm like, is that what I think it is? And I didn't know if that's a thing with that people do where they just literally stick it yes. in there uh,
1: yes. near
0: their shoulder. I'm like, oh, okay.
1: Yes. I'm old enough to remember when that was a common thing.
0: There you go. Caleb, you ever do that before? um i've never done it myself but i did have an uncle who always had his cigarettes that way
2: yeah oh interesting because i i assume like you know if you're wearing uh a shirt with like you know breast pocket i assume you would just put your darts there but yeah no i that, that's just one of the weird places i've
0: ever i've seen it before oh yeah
1: it's, it's usually t-shirts
0: yeah i always thought it was strange because you'd always have to unfold it to take out a cigarette pack and he'd frequently wear shirts, too, that it would have the uh, like the pockets in them, like the breast pocket. And I always just was like, why don't you just keep it in there? Then you can just reach it more easily. Yeah. I d- but maybe it's just an old school thing.
1: Yeah, I don't remember people with pockets doing it much. But um, I just remember dads in the 80s, a lot of guys, very common, very, very common. And probably the last times I saw that practice were probably in like my early days in the army, there was some guys who did that.
2: Um, I want to also mention maybe potentially, uh, I was, I was wondering like with, when, when Carol was, you know, talking about her, you know, her home life or whatnot, obviously I, I hope she's not abused and whatnot. she's, you know, she's kind of hard on herself. I remember when like, uh, when guy driving the millennium Falcon shows up, uh, initially I won't say it. Um, he's you know, so like, hey you want she's like hey you were
0: looking for like an ugly girl like me it's like
2: whoa <laughs> i love that
0: That that's so funny yeah she's what did she say that um do you remember i, I wrote it down here but i'm just looking at my notes to try to find it
1: it's coming up in real time on my screen i'll, I'll let you know on oh i i found I'm,
0: it i I'm will pass well that scene yeah, she said your car's uglier than I am, and then she looks to <laughs> it side like that didn't come out right. Yeah,
1: she, yeah, that, that was a good, yeah, that was a good one. And then we
0: cut to Harrison's Ford's face, and he's just he looks he has like a moment of confusion. He's like, <laughs> "What the flip?
2: Okay, I wasn't expecting that." Um, yeah, I like I like her. Like, you know, she seems like she's not the most popular. Like, she's she's up and coming. Obviously, she's not much younger than he is. I mean, she's probably you know preteen, if not early teenager um but i was wondering when she was giving her whole spiel on her home life again hopefully not abused or anything like that i was wondering if if john could relate if his home life was a little bit similar as well and so that's where he kind of like started to run yeah. with her over the fact that they have something in common there
1: yeah i well, think in that sense i agree that they, he he yeah i think he relates to her in that way what are you gonna say caleb
0: i was gonna say just this is the era of old school parenting i'm sure most people are getting abused <laughs> that's just uh yeah.
2: oh yeah
0: yeah no yeah yeah yeah, yeah
1: yeah 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 no yeah definitely definitely um to some degree not everybody obviously but but yeah, yeah. i mean if you drop a hint like that in a movie it's obvious subtext um yeah. but also okay first of all i know you referred to i think the black car is like the millennium falcon <laughs> um and i i get it but i actually think of john as more the han solo type character oh he in is this movie yeah but the thing about carol and you're talking about like her her background in the movie the problem with that or the weird part because you guys talked about some certain parts already that maybe feel a little bit or i don't know what word you want to use to describe it when you watch it in modern times and i don't get that feeling throughout most of this movie Except for this kind of aspect about Carol, which is the meta connection to it. So outside of the movie, I, are you guys familiar with that, or know what I'm talking about?
2: Are you about to like relate the fact that these two are proto Han Solo and Princess? No, Diana? no, no, no,
1: okay. nothing with Star Wars. No, with
0: Star Wars. I really didn't look too much into the the background. So unless it's something to do with the actress, actress, the actress, yes. Yeah, so Edumacate act- us, please.
2: Sir. So
1: people my age and older are very aware um, of this as it pertains to the actress because in the late, or maybe it was in the mid-90s, she was like on Oprah or something because she had like an autobiography coming out or memoirs. And this was like the big selling point. And so she was pushing it like on the talk shows everywhere and putting it all out there. Um, so that's why everyone my age and older, like we all know this. Like, um, So her father in real life Um, was from the band The Mamas and the Papas. Um, And in her book, she talks about um, how from a young age into well into her adult years, um, she had a, I think it was, for the most part, consensual incestuous relationship with her father.
0: (laughs) Consensual.
1: That's that's her words, that's not my words. I believe. I haven't looked this up in a while. Um and so obviously I've been aware about that since forever. Um and so like hearing those lines and thinking about the actress here, every time she mentioned her dad in the movie, I couldn't help but think about her dad in real life. Yikes.
0: Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty yikes. That's <laughs> heavy. Yikes
1: yeah, so that's what I got to say about that.
0: My, yeah, yeah, my my
2: condolences to her.
0: Wow, yeah, okay, sorry about that. Yeah, well, yeah, that would definitely add a different shading to those those moments.
2: Yeah, especially if we did, like, you know, add that. Well, not whether we should, but if we projected that into this film as her backstory. And
0: I'm not sure, yeah,
1: I'm not sure what her, the actress's age was when they made this movie, but I believe it falls in the timeline where, like, it was actively happening at
2: this time so there was one obviously one of my I think my favorite part with the between the two of them excuse me even though again like like I said before they have similar I don't know if it's caustic relationship but you know they 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 go back they rib back they rib each other back and forth and there's a moment where uh, she's fed up with uh, John and she leaves and then he's like again he he's a he's a jerk or he's the greaser but he actually has he has feelings and he's I feel like he's more true to... Uh, he's more... Not true Greaser, but he's more uh, real than I'd say Danny is in uh, Grease, but hey, we're not, we're not going to go there. anyway. Hey, cut out these knocks to Greece. What's going yeah, on here? Sorry, Nox. man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I like the scene where... They also use the scene uh, from in Empire of Dreams, like, you know, talking about the film, where those, uh, I guess, girls in the other vehicle show up and they, you know, talk about uh, John's vehicle and he's like I'm already Teddy and then he's like well get Finn Turkey and throws a water balloon and it smacks Carol <laughs> in the face and then they just like go nuts on them and they you know stop the vehicle and perform like arson or I guess arson <laughs> well. not, ar- not arson <laughs> well not arson sorry <laughs> but- that came out wrong. What Sorry. version
1: did you do? was that? Director's cut. That's, well, we'll <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the special edition. That's yeah. a special edition. <laughs> a little CGI go. flames. Sorry about that, but they uh, commit. Um, uh, what is it? Property damage. There we go. Destruction of property, and uh, by using that, I like that other setup where she has like a foam spray can uh, of like a shaving cream with her, and she uses that and like you know distort like you know uh, puts it all over their windows. And then John. Uh thankfully doesn't slash the tires but just like empties their tires. It, it it could be people could be like oh this is bullying 101 nowadays. But I, I well, took it as oh, okay no I can, this is a lot of fun. Wait, bling 101? Yeah. What did you say? Uh bullying. Th- s- sorry, people would
0: take this as bullying nowadays.
1: Partly. Oh, bullying. Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: sorry.
0: Yeah, but they do it with such a fun spirit. I do think that he shouldn't have aired out the tires that they maybe took it too far for a yeah. kind of fun prank. But I kept being distracted even though I I really like that scene. I kept being distracted by the, the giant lights right behind them that were spinning around. Yes, yes. I was like, well, may, maybe I'm missing a cultural reference of the time, but what the hell?
1: I don't think that's a cultural reference of the time, but I, I feel like they did it though purposely. Yes. To add the visual of the scene. Yeah. yeah. That was no accident.
0: But the artifice of it stood out because I was like, "What? Well, what purpose would that? I mean, that would just blind drivers. That's That's a hazard right there. Yep, having that right next to the road. <laughs>
1: well, I have seen them in real life, um, and no, they don't usually put them there on the sidewalk. Um, yes, <laughs> but eh, yeah, I mean you're right. Uh, the only thing about, I like the scene overall. The only part I don't like about it, it's one of those things where time chronology in the movie like doesn't exist for that minute or so of that sequence. Um, like there's no way they could have done all the things like during a typical light. Yeah. Um, and there's no way um, he could have, because when they, there's like a cut at by the end of the scene where they're going to drive off and all tires are completely flattened. Like not just a little bit, like completely. So, so yeah, you yeah. have to, um, yeah. Uh, suspend your disbelief in terms to time and relativity. But other than that, I totally love it. And, not in that way like on the actual street but me and my friends definitely would prank each other and other friends all the time in high school um and many times I did the gag of either like taking air out of my friend's tire um like while he was parked at school or whatever um or the um take off one or two of the um spark plug wires to, like just disconnect them so the car will either run rough or it won't run at all. I did that many times.
0: <laughs> glad I didn't have a vehicle in school or else. <laughs> yeah, glad I didn't have friends doing that. I would have been, yeah, pissed. But um, I, I'm surprised, Isaac, when you started talking about when she uh, gets out of the car, gets mad at him and is walking down the street and he picks her up. I thought you were going to mention about, again, the, the creepy hound dog guys. That, oh, I mean, She yeah. looks like a kid. I forgot about that, sorry. And they're howling out their car window, they're just, yeah, just, like, stalking her down the street. It's like, dude, I mean, this is gross in most contexts, but she looks like she's a kid. Yep. And they're still, yeah, it's like, well, I guess that's just, uh... And she looked like she was scared, too, just like, oh, crap, don't look at them. Oh, yeah, no, there was there
2: was some fear in her eyes, so... Yeah, I forgot, sorry, I, I legit forgot about that part. Uh, like, obviously, like, when she's walking.
1: yeah. I know there's no reason to necessarily like the depiction of that, or with um, Debbie earlier in the movie, but there's also no reason for it not to be in the movie. Yeah, because it just makes complete sense.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's
2: that's that's creepy and and terrible. But that's what happened as well.
0: <laughs> and they do a good job of framing it as just gross behavior.
2: Yeah. So whoever told Lucas to do that, good job. That's that's.
1: I don't know. I I don't know what, how to say this next thing because I don't know how to put it into words. But you know, I still see it happen nowadays. Um, usually late night, like in, in the bar, yeah, uh, strip bar. I still see it too. Areas of town, but and this is the part I don't know how to phrase or put into words. Is I always find it again. I don't know how to say this, but. Almost comical in a quaint kind of way when I see it nowadays. Now, not the type where it's like aggressive and they're getting like rapey and all that. Uh, that's not the version I'm talking about in real life. I mean, I do see that too, but I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the very stereotypical, hey, what are you doing? Hey, why don't you come over here? Like the very stereotypical baseline. Not where they're like literally chasing them around the block or anything like that. Um, but just the. The quaint version, for some reason, I find it almost, I don't know how to say it, comfort, comforting? Not com- comforting is not the right word, but but I find something ap- appealing about it in a nostalgic, <laughs> innocent kind of way. Again, I'm not talking about the aggressive type or, you know.
0: Innocent stupid ignorance kind of way. It gets, like,
1: yeah. scary. It's just, like, humans just being humans, and it's, you know, tales old as time. Again, they're not crossing any boundaries other than verbal, Um, and uh, yes, the girl's annoyed. I get it, but there's just
0: something and scared, very just quaint about it. Scared. If you talk to most women,
1: I don't think they're scared. No, they're not scared in this town. They're not scared.
0: Well, if you say so, I don't know if I believe Uh... you. No, no,
1: No, 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 no. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. There are some girls or women that definitely would be scared or apprehensive in put in that situation. Of course, that exists. And that does happen. But I'm not but this is not I'm not talking about that because when the context is when you're in this part of town at that time of night, those type of girls are never around. The ones who would be scared or apprehensive. Here you get the ones who are annoyed and angry and most of them could totally defend themselves if they needed to. I'm not worried about them.
0: Well, if you say so. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm uh, currently stretching my collar right now. Yeah, see, we uh, I definitely don't get any sense of charm from that. So
1: I wouldn't call it that. Like I said, I don't have the proper words.
0: I know. It's, it's the wrong word. I, I understand what you mean. Or nostalgia. But I don't think it's well- nostalgic.
1: <laughs> Calling it a nostalgic <laughs> reaction is like the best I can come up with because I don't know how to describe it.
0: Well, I definitely don't get any of that. No.
1: It's kinda of like not the same, but kind of how I felt once when I was at work um working with uh, teens and such um and a group of guys were playing video games, and um one of the guys just uh um what do you call it well we had a, someone had to write a report about it at work because you have to about these kinds of things. Well, one of the friends de-pantsed the other friend while he was standing up playing video games.
2: Oh, just like what uh, John does to Terry. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, okay. And it was hilarious. I mean, no, it's not nice. I mean, when I saw it with my own eyes, it was not nice. It's disrespectful. But, you know, it's like what kids do, and no one's, like, literally hurt. I don't think the kid felt bullied or anything like that, Um, you know, and it was just funny. I just remember because we had to go over the report in a meeting and someone who wasn't there was reading and like one boy deep pants, the other boy. They're like, what does that mean? <laughs>
2: <Is> the <that laughs> person like... never been a kid before?
0: Like, yeah, that's was, that was still <laughs> definitely common when we were kids. Yeah. No, I mean, it depends on the situation. Yeah, You're
1: but I don't, I'm i not sure what you call it. Um, boys will be boys. Yeah, pantsing. No, no. I mean, deep pants is not like the state. I don't know what. The yeah, standard.
0: pantsing.
2: pantsing.
1: Okay, sure.
0: No, at least that's how we called it yep i never yeah it happened to me numerous times and <laughs> girls would even just do it to other girls when i was a kid too what and, the and fuck they seem much more humiliated never happened to me oh, oh, oh hold on there, hold
1: on there's a distinction between there's a distinction between if it's just the pants or the shorts or if it's the whole the full monty and it's like yes
0: that is there is a difference there yeah there's a big so yeah, there is a big, big
1: difference. huge difference well, so this yeah. one was just the pants, um, yeah, in the American sense, not the,
2: see the underwear and all,
1: not the British sense.
2: Yeah, if it if it goes to the other extreme, that's when it's that's yeah. that's crossing the line. That's not allowed. That's 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 yeah, that's rude. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the situation for kids where it's like if if everybody's getting into it, then like it's fine. But there are <laughs> instances know. of hey, hey, if like everybody's <laughs> pantsing each other, that's it's fun, but there's uh... consent involved. But then there's obviously some kids who are not comfortable with it, and that's yeah.
1: Okay, so again, why I brought this up was because when I see the, the, the situation with the, the leery guys in real life, um, in this context, at that time of night, that ta- that part of town, I find it quaint, like the de-pantsing thing, in the sense that it's just silly, it's just it's what's always been, what always will be to some extent. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it's at the same time though, understand, um, I just think, man, those guys are such losers. And I mean I mean that's part of the quaintness and nostalgia at the same time. Like I can't believe how how like backwards these guys are. Like but but yet yeah, corny go on. But yet it continues.
2: Yeah. You're laughing at how like oh look at how um de- uh what what is it? Empty headed these guys are. Look at how like I I feel smarter now because I'm I'm not that kind of person. Or
1: or sort of well not no, I I I'm not necessarily injecting myself in the equation, but, but also it's just the, like, yeah, no matter how much culture and technology advances, um, oh. like you, humans don't evolve that quick, I guess.
0: Oh, sorry. I just have to point this out. So I, I mentioned earlier that Candy Clark went into B movies late in her career and we've covered her once more, uh, once previously on the podcast, she was in the blob. She played the, uh, uh, uh the waitress, uh, and I just noticed in that scene, at least I think it was the waitress. Oh, uh, were you gonna say something, Eric?
1: I'm assuming that's the '80s version of
0: the Blob. The '80s version, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just saw the scene where um, Terry was throwing up, and there's this this guy sitting next to her, this kind of older guy with glasses. And I was just looking at him, like, oh, I kind of recognized him earlier. Why do I know this guy? And I just realized he played the uh, the Reverend in the Blob. So it was funny seeing the two of them on screen there.
1: No, that's cool, and that makes sense, especially because that movie does have that, Pleasant Pleasantville old timey vibe as well. Yeah, like, it makes sense to cast some of those kind of characters as background characters or actors, I meant.
0: Um, but John, do we have much more for uh, yeah, before we move into some of the bigger stuff with the the plot, with his character and the others? I love his ending with Carol, uh, where
2: he gives her that. Uh, piece of metal in the end and gives her that. Yeah, it looks
1: like a piston. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, the piston. There you go. Uh, I thought it was a. Um, oh, what was it? I thought it was a socket for a ratchet set, but I could be wrong on that. Um, obviously, not not it was. But I like how he gives her the consensual kiss on the cheek at the end. That was also really nice. And yeah, they may they may see each other again at some point, and hopefully again just be friends. Like that's that'd be that perfect. Yeah. Like as as like just both are platonic. That'd be really nice cuz you know what yeah that's one of the things i liked about it where it wasn't romantic and i mean it's also hard to do it sometimes like i mean i maybe i'm wrong on this but like sometimes hard to do dialogue between two characters who are well i guess it's the same thing with guys like how could you can just make it as guys but and not make it feel like romantic so i just like that this one was played purely platonic uh and it was you know it, it, it was well handled
1: yeah no i totally agree with that um i love it too and you know i can Oftentimes, with movies in this genre, I can you know see elements of myself in either one or two or multiple characters and in this movie, it's multiple characters I can relate to um for myself but um but John's character in particular, I feel a lot of crossover um that I can relate to for my own life um and I've had many friend like uh relationships with females very similar to their relationship depicted in the movie. And I still have some of those friends to this day. And so I can very much relate to John and them. And I love it in real life. I love it in movies. Um, and one of the aspects I love about it in real life as well, but as depicted in the movie is like on the surface, like if you just knew John on the surface, like if we pretend like we're in universe and these are real people, um, you don't expect that kind of seemingly hardened type of guy to have like an inner compassion or heart in the platonic sense. And people generally don't expect that in real life when they meet someone like John on the surface. And so I've had that experience a lot in my life um, where people who didn't really know me well looked at me leery-eyed just because of my physical presence or because I don't come off as very friendly oftentimes to strangers. Um, But inside I know, and I, I know from, life examples that when the rubber meets the road no pun intended i have like that inner sense um of um however you want to describe um the bond that is built between uh john and carol
0: yeah the guy who uh uh, can't get through 10 minutes of interstellar without breaking into tears you know (laughs) (sighs) that's
1: only become a thing in my later (laughs) years in life i was never that guy like before the age of 30
0: yeah, that's only because Interstellar didn't exist back then. If you would have seen it back then, it would have changed you.
1: No, that's <laughs> not true. That's not true. No, because there's a long list of movies that I just watched like a normal person when I was under the age of 30. <laughs> and then retroactively, if I see them now, I, I have like Interstellar reactions. Um, a, a very <laughs> uh, a simple example um, that always comes oh, to no. mind for me is E.T. I
0: knew you were going there.
1: That's one of those ones. It was just a regular movie a regular entertaining movie most of my life. And then as an older person, that movie completely tears me down.
2: Guy loves uh, James Cameron's Avatar and Titanic to
0: death. Hey, Titanic's great. Avatar. eh.
1: I love them both. I wouldn't say I love either to death. And I probably like Avatar a bit more than Titanic, but I definitely like both of them extremely.
0: No shade, dude. Don't worry. No shade. Minor shade on Avatar. Oh my Um. God. (laughs) Not just kidding, um, but I wanted to say for uh, I liked with John the fact that they because we've seen a little bit of him being in this of being kind of reaching the end of his his tether for holding on to having some sort of relevancy, maybe for this this high school class right under him, they all know him and still respect him, but eventually that that respect's going to run out and he's just kind of going to be a loser, so I like giving him this chance with this younger character to still makes some sort of impact on the generation below him. I think that's kind of a a cool element of his character too.
1: Yeah, it it's not done exactly the same way, but there's a version of this type of older younger relationship um like in Days and Confused, which amazes me that Killer has not seen it. and we'll probably do that at some point for one of these podcasts, uh minor hits. But um
0: yeah, and I I'm curious if I'm going to like it. I'm, I'm going to try to come in with as open arms as I can. Yo, but.
1: that I have no idea. I have no idea that you'll like it. I'm not very confident yeah. you'll like it, um, just because um, that movie, in no way, is it a remake. But what this movie is for coming out in '73 is exactly what Daisy Confused was when it came out in '90 three or ninety four whenever it came out. Like and and I mean the, the the setting has changed in terms of time period but both movies like very much serve like the same function. And while the characters aren't exactly the same, you can kinda see oh this person is that person for American for graffiti. this person is kinda like that person. Mm. So they're extremely extremely similar in many, many ways, including um, storytelling and and characters and depictions and like yeah they the basic idea on paper is virtually identical for both movies
0: yeah and I still have a negative connotation when I think of Richard Linklater and in, in comedies or Linklater and comedies so that's that's one of the reasons I've never seen it I do own it and I've owned it for oh wow I don't know like ten years wow. but every time I'd go to pick it up. I'm just like, uh, like I just don't know if that's something that I have any real interest in seeing. I just want to see it for film archivist reasons.
1: While it is funny at times for sure, it is cl- com- on the comedy scale. It's closer to this than, say, Fast Times. Um, um, it's somewhere in the middle in terms of comedy, but it's closer to realism than absurdism.
0: Closer to Bad News Bears. Is it, uh, is it in that spirit?
1: I haven't <laughs> seen Bad News Bears either, either, either iteration. It's terrible.
0: The eighties one I, I used to really like, not so much a sequel, but yeah, the Linklater version. That was actually the thing that gave me the negative connotation for him. It was that movie? <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, I guess let's move over to Kurt uh, finally. Also, I just love the
2: fact that uh, John uh, comes to Terry's rescue. I don't know if I had already said that, but I like that yeah. that, that intersects and feels well because I'm, I'm not saying yeah. the town is small or anything like that, but I'm glad that right place right time, and he saved John's hide uh, in that scuffle that was occurring.
1: Yeah, no that's perfect.
2: Go ahead, Caleb. The final character
0: uh, out of this ensemble cast, Kurt. Yeah, and I guess we've discussed him a little bit in terms of his, his character arc. I guess that was pretty much the whole plot summary. <laughs> um, but I think coming into this, the, character, the actor that I knew the most and liked the most coming in was uh, Richard Dreyfuss. And so I was very curious to see how this character was going to play. Especially considering the fact that I knew that he was playing a, a teenager. And this was only, two, was it two years before Jaws when this came out? I am like that is the biggest thing, man. I kept saying like he
2: was he was in Jaws, and I'm like, yeah, that is crazy. What kind of de aging did they did de- do to him? Because like he does not look like you know he does in Jaws or
0: aging for Jaws. Yeah, yeah, what kind of aging happened?
2: You know, in a way, I I think that makes more sense because like he looks the same as he does in Jaws. As, well, maybe this is wrong on me, but he looks the same as he does in Jaws when he's in 2010.
1: He's in 2010?
2: I believe so. We'll I mean, with you that. could
1: be right. I don't remember. It's been ages since I've seen it. I think he's it's in me that. too. Are you thinking of Rob Schneider by chance? Because Rob Schneider is obviously in Jaws and in Maybe.
2: Well, actually, he's in both, but I think, I think Dreyfus is in there. I think they paired him up with uh, Schneider again. I will grab my DVD. It's right next to me. And I'll take a look. Just oh, so that right. so yeah. yeah. Please, yeah, fact check me.
0: I'm pretty sure that is the case.
1: I have no idea. I just don't. And I haven't seen twenty ten in ages.
0: So I... Um if he is in it, it's not listed in the, the main cast here. Okay. Yeah, you may be getting it confused with uh yeah, Roy Schneider.
1: I said Rob Schneider, I meant wait, is it Roy Schneider?
0: Roy Schneider.
2: Yeah, because you said Rob. I'm like, I
0: don't think Rob Schneider was in that.
1: Right. I was naming the S N L act, actor yep. unintentionally.
0: <laughs> um but yeah, so so I was curious, like, how how the hell are you gonna pull this off? Is this gonna be Is he going to look like he's like 36 years old playing a teenager?
1: Oh, that's so funny.
0: He does look too old, but I think he has got a good spirit for the role. And so I I very quickly just kind of lose that baggage.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, none of the actors look 18, except for maybe Carol who looks younger than 18. But yeah, so but no, I think he's perfectly fine. I mean, age wise, because you could argue that at times Terry looks a bit older than he should be. Um, but not, but not, not so much that it would take me out of the movie or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And it, it was mainly just from knowing you know, he, he's easily the one I know the most, uh, Richard Dreyfuss. So that was my, why I had a little bit more baggage with him. Um, but no, I, I think he's got a, a great energy and I like that he is essentially the, the solo act. Everyone else is paired up. Everyone's kind of, uh, in their little doubles routine.
1: Well, to a degree, he's a solo act, um, because, he is paired up with people, but not people who we really, um, what's the word, sympathize with? I guess. Um, yeah, and
0: he, he's he's sort of transient. He moves to different doubles, and then he has his pairings for those little, those little areas. But for the most part, it's just him, which I which I like. It gives a bit of a different flavor for uh, the the dynamics. It makes him stand out a little bit more.
1: It certainly does that, and I'm sure by design, but. Similar, not exactly the same, but similar to how I like the John Carroll relationship as it progresses during the movie. Mm-hmm. I do like um, Kurt's uh, arc with the Pharaohs. Um, and I had forgotten about that whole aspect um, when I was watching the movie today, so I didn't know where it was going to go. Um, so when I was watching it today, like the Pharaohs really annoyed me at first. <laughs> um but once it develops the way it does in the movie, I I I like it. I like it a lot.
2: Uh, Isaac, um, you know the, the the Pharaohs being like more greasy and or more greasers than John is. Funny enough, <laughs> um, they still came across as like a little bit more. I don't want to say laid back, but I guess they could have been more worse. Or at least their depictions could have been. Uh, but they, they, I I found them pretty charming. Uh, I like how kind of reasonable i guess they were where they didn't immediately you know put kurt's head to the like the curbside and start beating him up i'm i'm oh, kinda, no. you know, impressed by that maybe i just you know too much into violence i don't know yes
0: maybe think of the american history x <laughs> <laughs> um
2: but they, they they were like all right we either you know drag you along like you know concrete uh behind the vehicle or you know you you know stay with us for the entire evening and uh, as we go about our business being delinquents and that actually kind of turns almost like both encounters that he has with them when they go to the arcade or whatever it is and then to um to play the prank or or whatever on the cops um you know that that, that actually works out in his favor uh maybe the first one more than the second because you know he gets to you know see those uh, i guess see some old familiar faces of i guess people he worked with or worked under
0: yeah and i i like the I like seeing the side of the town that he spends the time in. I feel I feel like uh, the other groups, even though we see different parts of the town, we don't really get to live in it in the same way. So I appreciate that. Uh, I like the interaction with the radio DJ because we constantly hear him throughout the whole picture. I like how that fits in. I think that's cool. The Wolfman.
1: Yeah, that, that that aspect of the film feels very Tarantino-esque.
0: Tarantino-esque? Oh, how, how so?
1: Well, on the one hand, just kind of the way Tarantino, you know, likes to infuse his films with music um, or popular um, off the beaten path type of music, but especially um, Reservoir Dogs in particular, where the DJ, we don't ever see him on screen, but is like a constant character in the background of the movie.
0: Okay, yeah, that, that's that's fair are you know, some like the warriors does something similar as well. Um yeah, and I I I don't know how to I don't know how to frame this cuz it's been so long since I've seen The Graduate. But I kept thinking of that movie as well when thinking of Kurt's plot. And both of them have that kind of Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I've seen that more recently. But you get a combo of characteristics from Dustin Hoffman in uh, The Graduate. I can't remember his character's name, but you get you get Shades of him in both Kurt and in Steve
0: yeah, and there's they they carry a kind of uh spirit of the hippie movement without being hippies, like something about that kind of uh yes, yeah, I like quite a bit
1: yeah, you're right, you're totally right, well, he's definitely the more preppy out of out of out of the characters in this movie, there's no question about that,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, like he'd go to Yale or someplace like that,
1: yeah, or he'd live the more what was more considered like the traditional path of a young man. Um, in the fifties or early sixties. Um, whereas the others are more kind of like they could more go with the, 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 the wind of, of current culture. He's like the one that's most on the traditional path, quote unquote.
0: Yeah. And I always like, uh, stories that are about a place as much as they are about just a character's plot. Something like, um, uh, Vamp, if anyone's seen that, that kind of silly uh, eighties, uh, movie. It's all about exploring this one little area, and I think that's super cool. There's one season movie I'm thinking of that does that too that I really like, but uh, I can't remember at the moment. Um, so, so I feel like that makes this aspect feel more unique, and um, I wish maybe we got some more interesting little characters along the way. Uh, maybe if we'd, you know, cut out that whole Steve Plow, we could have got some more of that going on. Maybe <laughs> that's unfair. But I feel like there's a, if anything in this movie it feels like it could almost stand on its own. I feel like they could have beefed up this side of it, and I would have really enjoyed this Richard Dreyfuss uh, falling in love with his town that he's about to leave story.
1: I mean, I would have liked that, too, if there was more focus on him, but that would have been a different movie. Yes, yes. Because um, I, I also like this movie, though, too. <laughs> but I could see an alternate, different movie that goes that direction, and I, I could see enjoying that, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm just... I, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a weird compliment to say that this part, I feel, is, is good enough that it could be in a different movie
1: yeah i mean it would be something like in my mind like the original karate kid um where it's more focused on a central character um and his specific coming of age rather than an ensemble piece
0: yeah but just that kind of movie just just works for me in general and um i don't know what else to say but, but i i do think even though kurt isn't my favorite character out of the group his whole story arc is probably my favorite part of the movie even though he is my favorite character.
1: Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, I did feel bad during the arcade or whatever you wanted to call it scene. Um, just how the owner proprietors, whatever (laughs) are just being really nice to him and talking to him in in the back. while the guys are like stealing the change. Like that just made me feel kind of bad.
0: Um, me too. I didn't really like that. I was like, Hey, come on.
1: Yeah. I was almost hoping the guys, the Pharaohs just wouldn't steal anything at all. Um, and we just kind of leave. So yeah, that eh, I guess if I felt uncomfortable at some point, maybe it was that as well, mildly. But yeah, I get it. Um, obviously a big part of Kurt's arc is him having this obsession or fixation on of this uh, girl or woman he saw driving this white T-bird, um, and he barely got you know kind of a look at her. She says something to him that is inaudible or unintelligible mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of one of his focuses throughout the rest of the night um, do you guys know who played the woman who was driving the T-Bird?
0: No, oh, interesting no I don't. Nope.
1: And I think the same actress did the voice on the telephone later because it sounded like her. I didn't verify it but it sounded like her um, It's actually Suzanne Summers. interesting. Yeah who just passed who just passed like a week ago
2: Rip. Suzanne Summers.
1: Um, for again, for anyone my age or older, she was one of the super hotty babes of the seventies. Um, later seventies. And she was unknown at this point. But by the end of the seventies and into the early eighties, she was considered
0: one of the hottest babes on TV at the time. Yeah, I'm trying to think where I know her from, but I, I definitely uh recognize the name. Um
1: she was she was mostly initially known for Three's company famously, but people a bit younger than me um might know her better in what is that show called it was a spinoff of family matters um step by step is that what it was called
0: i know the show you mean i i never watched it so i i can't remember what that that is but
1: yeah so for people a little bit younger than me she became popular for that role in that show because that show was not as popular as family matters but but it was up there in popularity at the time.
0: Oh, I I know why I know her and I know why I recognize the name. Uh, she played a version of herself in Serial Mom. She was going to play the role of the serial mom in the movie that they're going to make of it.
1: Oh, oh,
0: yeah, oh. <laughs> and she has a really funny scene in that movie.
1: Oh, she she was also famous in the late eighties, early nineties, for the um uh, the infomercial that was big in those days. Um. For the thigh master, uh. and she was like very known as like the spokesperson for that product and infomercial. Again, anyone my age or older, like everyone knows, like you, you can't unknow these things or not know these things because they're so embedded in the zeitgeist.
0: Yeah, but even though the that relationship dynamic, if you want to call it that, is kind of shallow. I like it as just kind of a metaphor with him falling in love with this town that he's probably for all these years just been looking forward to getting out of this kind of small little area cuz they all tend to they all kind of have that to some degree maybe even John although I'm not quite sure <laughs> but for this 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 night when he's deciding when he's whether he's going to stay or go yeah kind of having that seeing that that hidden beauty in it again i think that that's really much more exciting than just uh, the idea of him pursuing this mysterious woman so
1: i totally agree totally agree
0: I mean, yeah, she's the
2: represent. I think you probably said this. Ago, sorry, if repeating you, but like, she's the representation of the town itself. Like, she's what he needs, metaphorically speaking. But yeah, it's it's weird because, like I said, it was earlier uh, between him and Steve. They're they're contrasting each other. Where he doesn't want to leave, but he ends up leaving, and then it's the reverse for Steve. So. I, I guess maybe there's something for him to look back uh look forward to when he does return.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Even though he already has all this stuff. I also wonder <laughs> when he does return, is he gonna get initiated to the pharaohs or is he gonna get like you know attacked by them for like saying, Hey, you're supposed to do like this blood ritual or whatever there they said that we're gonna do. Uh so we're gonna we're gonna, you know, drag you along the concrete.
0: Oh no. <laughs> More concrete I stuff. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, always about the concrete. Um, but I, I thought that um, that the scene with the Wolfman, again, we mentioned that a little bit. I really like that, too, just the, the vibe and the Wolfman himself being kind of this mystery as well, or the guy pretending that it's not him. I, I think that that stuff all has a just such a, I was going to say quaint again, but quaint almost seems, I don't know, it almost seems like, a, like you're putting it down or something, being condescending towards it. But it it just had a... It it made me wish for the heyday of the DJs again. Charming, I suppose? Yeah, charming. Sure, sure. That doesn't sound as, you know, pretentious (laughs) or... uh,
2: Like you're throwing shit at it. No, yeah, he was was a cool guy. He was a rad kind of dude. Also very open to the fact that it's late at night. Doesn't lock his doors. Maybe this is just where (laughs) we live. And, you know, just anybody can cruise in there. Different time. Um... And just, you know, helps this guy out. Doesn't say, like, hey, you can't be in here. He's, you know, he's that guy who's, you know, <laughs> I guess, a better therapist, radio therapist than Fraser Crane himself. But, um, no, in this case, yeah, he lets him in. And very open kind of guy. Kind of very laid back. That's the, That's the kind of guy... You, uh, we need more of like he's, he's a nice kind of uh, he's a B- OG podcaster. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, he was, you know, a decent fellow. And I like, he, you know, he's always trying to be like, Hey man, or my, my, Hey, this is a cliche man nowadays, but yeah, Hey, my freezer just broke. Oh, how convenient I need to get rid of all of these popsicles. It's like, ah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Or just like, you know, all frozen food or whatever's in there.
0: Yeah. And it was cool. Cause I guess he, he'd been such a pervasive element in the town itself they built up all these myths around him that he's like he's always flying over the the town or maybe the world in a plane and recording from up there and and then we get this more demystified view but there's still that that cool air of mystery to it i think all that stuff they was well handled
2: well, even the the reveal and you know what it actually is 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 still pretty is is honest. Uh, I I yeah. like it how down to earth it is, and it doesn't take away from the myth itself. It's just you know between all these people, and uh, he got to like Kurt himself got to witness, and you know, just for a brief second out of the corner of his eye, he got to see you know who the Wolfman really is. Yeah, uh, and I I, I like that. I felt it was just honest, and it was a feel good moment.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree with everything you guys said, and. Just give me 30 minutes um, on this subject. No, um, when uh, Caleb mentioned something about old-timey, uh, like the days of, of dish jockeys and, and whatnot, being big on the radio, I don't know I was just curious. I wonder what Steve um, would think about this character or this part of the movie, only because I recently learned that um, I guess one of Steve's all-time favorite sitcoms is WKRP in Cincinnati, Um, which is not something I've watched a lot of, but, but me neither, but I, I watched enough that I I get the premise there and they kind of borrow that premise to an extent, like in that 70s show as well. Um, like the WKRP, um, aspect a little bit in some seasons of that 70s show. But anyway, uh, I think whatever that book was, I couldn't remember the name of when we were talking about THX. Um, about hero arcs um i think part of the reason the wolfman character exists in the movie or in the screenplay is because again to an extent we're following that book's um basic principles and and outlines um and he is very much the um the mentor slash elder character who just steps in at one point just to assist our main protagonist um in finding his direction. Um and I, I think it's all very well done. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, pretty perfect in the context of the movie. And it reminded me of the other Tarantino movie I was reminded of. Um as it pertained to the setting and, and the inclusion of music. Um but a movie another movie i thought of even aside from this uh, as i was watching this today was uh, once upon a time in hollywood just because even though i wasn't alive at that time it feels like once upon a time in hollywood captures 1969 so well and it's another integral part of like the texture of that movie of hearing the radio frequently through the movie and hearing real archival commercials being played Um, on the radio in the movie Um, so yeah yeah, I was just kind of thinking of that movie just in terms of capturing a period um, really well that was in the back of my mind watching this
0: and just to go through the uh, I've only got four notes left one of them was something that we touched on a little bit but I like the fact that this movie just constantly has music playing throughout almost the whole runtime and I, I think they even though it's not necessarily music that I would listen to in my own Time this, this uh, genre or this period of music isn't always something that I reach for. I think they made a lot of good choices, and it just, uh, I really like the vibe that that gave the movie.
1: Yeah, so for me, like, I mean, honestly, I think this movie set off the trend that would last for a long time, which was to have that, um, almost fetishistic, um, nostalgia for the rock and roll, mostly 1950s vibe. I think it kicked off with this. You know, it it gained even more momentum when Greece came around. Um, And so you guys don't remember it like I do because it wasn't just in popular media um, where things that that related back to the 50s or rock and roll times. Like, like we've discussed before how the 80s had that kind of revival, um, you know, with Stranger Things and many other things in recent times. Well, that started with this movie and it lasted I would say almost all the way through the end of the 80s that there was always like this kind of obsession with those times um and so for me I got really hooked into the obsession myself um when I saw La Bomba, I think that was 87 and um because of that movie and just the way things were back then I got really into rock and roll um standards of that time and then even though it was later when i first saw this movie i at the time i was like oh yeah i love this i love hearing all this rock and roll music in this movie love it sets the scene so well now as an older person now and being more familiar with time periods it is a little bit weird to me that a lot of those songs would have been out of date in 1962 I mean'm I mean still everyone would know them because uh, so many of them are so iconic and um, and of course you would still hear them, I am assuming in nineteen sixty two it's just you would think you would hear more music that was from like sixty one or sixty two and there's not much um, uh, the only one that really hits the time right um, would be like the um Beach Boys song we hear at, at some point that yeah, that would be current for the movie, but all the other songs would have been like four, five, six years old in some cases. And again, it's, it's not like that wouldn't happen. It's just it was so heavy with like the older music. That's not really a knock. That's just like a weird obsessive compulsive thing I have now as an adult in noticing details.
0: Yeah, and the, the only the only radio station that we hear them playing is Wolfman's. So maybe that was just what he played. That's true. If you listen to maybe some other stations.
1: That's true. That's true. But I guess that's also part of the reason why I assumed this movie was in the 50s um, when I first saw it. Because mm. um, uh, it definitely gives that more 50s vibe. Um, but it also, if they did lean into what was popular at the time in terms of rock and roll, it'd be a lot more of this um, crooner, boy pop idol kind of rock. And that wouldn't be as interesting <laughs> if they had leaned into yeah. that type of rock and roll. Different yeah.
2: tone, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Um, they, you know, I think the other option, I think the other explanation is they could only maybe get those guys or those songs were easier to uh, get the rights for than you know what was happening at the during '62 potentially i i don't know that for sure but yeah good good on you for you know t- taking my taking my thoughts sir eric about like i didn't even think about that i mean i sort of did think about toxic nostalgia but <laughs> what i don't know this one, well yeah like toxic nostalgia that's like that stranger things is that
1: oh oh that's what you meant yeah that's
2: what i meant well you meant i thought you were that.
1: calling back to the the girls walking on the side of the road i thought you were calling back to
2: that oh no no, no. but like no well no yeah different thing um I, it's fun. I, you you do mention that, yeah, that uh, you know the people were obsessed with the fifties back in the eighties. I mean, that's what Back to the Future Part One is all about. For crying out loud, and um, people think it's all about the DeLorean in the eighties. It's like no, it's all about like the fifties period, which is you know going back to this.
1: Totally. Like yeah, my, my favorite car, like from elementary through middle school, was a fifty seven Chevy. Like it, it was it was crazy. And what's really crazy? is um so in my elementary school um you know kids used to do recess a lot more in school back in the day they kind of got rid of recess as i understood it like in the 90s um but anyway i was still in the days of when we had a lot of recess and um when we were out in the playground at my elementary school just across the street from the schoolyard um this house had like a 55, 56, or something, Chevrolet or Ford. And, you know, we all saw it like in school and we always thought it was so cool. Um, It's been 30 plus years since then. And occasionally I'll drive down that street. The same car is still parked in the same place today.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Nice.
1: (laughs) The same 55, 56, whatever it is still with the same color paint job two-tone like baby blue and white it's still there and okay. it blows my mind but anyway but yeah that was a huge yeah like fetish that people just had in general of the cars and the music and the vibe and it's crazy how long that lasted i mean from, from almost 20 years
2: I will I will say maybe already mentioned this but yeah, as as he said with you know the score being very persistent of well the score itself is just all these songs and I really like that it's it's even if they're in the background and you know they may have some you know high energy to them or maybe mid energy I still I still really like it how it is it does replace the score I think that's uh, this is a good example of um licensed songs being uh part of the score so I I really did like and I guess it it doesn't feel like you know, Tarantino took this from Lucas. I assume that was just you know Tarantino himself, but yeah, yeah, he was, he was doing Tarantino before Tarantino, but not in the same way, of course. It was you know two different uh, artists, you know, uh, doing the same thing but differently. So because you know he would use those for various parts of the movie and in very like specific aspects of it. Whereas this, it's it's just to feel like I guess time in, and I guess to you know. Beat background noise in a good way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, to direct mood, I feel like a lot of that, like, um, we get the the Black Mirror, the famous Black Mirror song in this, when um, they play that for the kind of the love scene moment, and then when they're driving around, we get really like more uh, uh, propulsive kind of music. I think it's great for for setting that that tone in the audience.
1: Yeah, and you know, I can't think of an earlier example, excluding outright musicals. I can't think of an earlier example that did it like this um, in the way that, like, I think this is the progenitor of this technique that will persist, which I'll wow. I'll quickly go through in a second. But because other teen movies, um, like for, of the 60s and the 70s, um, usually, at least from what I've seen, they usually just used like this generic, Um, background rock and roll or whatever is popular at the time music um it's and it's usually something that yeah it's just like a sound alike and um and it's usually i couldn't stop talking about the best picture podcast because there was a scene like this in um guess who's coming to dinner uh, where this delivery boy's listening to quote-unquote popular music um in 1967 and it's the stereotypical like like something like that is what you hear in a lot of movies um when they include quote-unquote current pop music in the 60s and 70s um but like this movie i think it sets the template like for the genre and a bit for the rom-com genre that would come later um because this obviously translated heavily into the 80s teen movies um where obviously that was an essential part of that genre was to include popular songs some you knew and some that were you know made to tie in with the movie that was like part of the whole marketing dynamic for all these types of movies in the 80s and to into a degree bleeding into the 90s um and it's crazy to see the evolution of it if you're into this genre like i am um because like the the newest iteration would have been like um the way they started doing it with the series, The O.C. And that kind of set the tone for the next 10 or so years after The O.C. and When you think of movies like Garden State or um, 500 Days of Summer. Like, uh, again, this is the earliest example I could think of, of kind of doing this technique. And it's crazy how it's translated through the decades now.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, actually, uh, just yesterday, as part of my uh, my October Halloween movies, I watched a 1984 film called Night of the Comet. And it also has a big part of the movie revolving around a, a radio station. And that's another one where it's just constant music playing in just about every scene. A great selection of music. Uh, I think that soundtrack is just awesome. That movie in general, an underrated uh, uh, cult classic from the eighties night of the comet.
1: Um, Heard of it. Haven't seen it, but one I consider a little bit of a hidden gem in this genre I mean, especially for me, who's a guy who loves these kind of movies, I had never seen uh, a Valley Girl until a year ago, approximately. And Valley Girl is very much in the vein of this style of movie. But it's like, it came out around the same time as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But but Fast Times at Ridgemont High is like the more mainstream, absurdist comedy. Whereas yeah. Valley Girl is like the alternative version of that movie. Um, and the score is so amazing because it's, it's totally 1982 hits, but it's the alternative hits, um, not the fully mainstream hits. And so I absolutely adore that soundtrack um, and the movie. itself. they made a modern musical version of it. It's okay, but the original is the best. And of course, um, young, um, what's his name? Um, Coppola's cousin or nephew.
0: No, Nick Cage,
2: Nicholas Cage.
1: Nicholas Cage, obviously, that's like his first real starring role. And that's another good reason to watch Valley Girl if someone hasn't seen it.
0: Oh, and just since you mentioned Coppola, I will go into my one of my other notes that I thought was very odd that I'd never heard about this. Um, I didn't realize that after THX 1138, one of the next projects that George Lucas was working on, and he was actually working on it before he ever did THX, was Apocalypse Now there was like a four-year span where that was going to be his next feature after THX. And it just, I guess, fell apart just before he uh, went on to direct that movie. But they were, yeah, he was flying around they were in, he was involved with writing it. I thought that was, could you imagine if George Lucas directed Apocalypse Now? That's so strange to think.
1: Honestly, I don't think it would be that different. Uh. <laughs> Even though that's obviously Coppola's movie Apocalypse Now, That something about the way it was made and constructed, and the way it comes off when you watch it. I haven't seen it in many years, but from my recollections, um, the style of it, um, of its presentation feels relatable to me to this movie and THX.
0: Huh, I, I, yeah, I I don't see it, but.
1: Which is which is a bit different than let's say how the Coppola Godfather films feel. That that's different. Like I feel there's more shared stylistic DNA with Apocalypse Now and these two Lucas movies than like again Godfather and a lot of crossover actors as well from this Lucas stuff and and Apocalypse Now. Yeah, because obviously Robert, Robert Duvall and um, Harrison Ford. And what's weird also about Apocalypse Now um, and this franchise is that um, the sequel uh, to this movie, which was not directed, produced, or written by George Lucas, but it was released by Lucasfilm Limited, Um, Uh that movie came out, I think, almost the same time as Apocalypse Now. And that is bad timing. Bad timing. And there was another significant movie I can't think of that also came out at the same time. And... Between Apocalypse Now and whatever the other movie was, that was a terrible time to release um, more American Graffiti, I think is what it's called.
0: Was it Corvette Summer? I think that was 79.
1: No, not Corvette Summer. I mean, <laughs> that did come around around that time. Well, this is 79 that we're talking about.
0: <sighs> exactly. Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll figure it out. It wasn't Corvette Summer. But when y'all talked about the car and THX and how you kind of thought it was cool. The car reminded me of the car in Corvette Summer because in both cases, they're obviously based upon real cars, but they have all these weird appendages added to them. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to bring up Corvette Summer last time.
0: Yeah. And I always, having heard of these two movies for so long, American Graffiti and Corvette Summer, I always associated them in my mind. But for whatever reason, I, I had more of a call to check out Corvette Summer. So I saw that. I don't know. Or four years ago, yeah,
1: I could see. That. I haven't seen Corvette Summer in a million years, but and it almost should be part of this podcast
0: series. Ah, uh, it doesn't have enough connection.
1: Well, I mean, it's still, I mean, you know, what it's probably no, no, no Lucas connection, really. No, no Lucas, but certainly Mark Hamill, like it's. Kind of his most notable work. <laughs> I mean, outside of voice acting and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I guess that's fair.
1: On screen, it's like kind of his most notable work, um, aside from Star Wars. Uh, and I, I always saw it all the time. You know, I used to play it on TV all the time, Corvette Summer. And it was actually entertaining in a way. But it's also a teen coming-of-age movie. Um, just it's more in the typical late 70s vein than something like this.
0: Yeah, it's a bit weirder. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> I need to find out what else came out. Um, the other big movie around the time of the Apocalypse Now
0: came out. Well, I've only got two notes left, and I guess I'll do that while you're doing this. I'm very curious what you guys think about this. It's it's only a very minor moment, but they they focus on it enough that it stood out for me. So we get uh, Mr. Wolf. He's having a conversation with uh, I believe it was Kurt, and Kurt was you know being like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to go away to college and. This uh, Mr. Wolf, he he was the, I guess the dance uh, monitor, at that dance they go to, and he's kind of drilling into him like, "Don't be oh. stupid, go to college." And then all of a sudden, this this woman or this girl, I should say, shows up. This high school student, and she's like, "Oh, I need to talk to you." And he gets this this kind of nervous look, and he hurriedly uh, shoes Kurt away. And then they go and talk in the corner, and they look they look like they're having quite the. Heated or intimate conversation, and Kurt just kind of looks at them for a moment, and then walks away. And I was like, just like, "That's kind of an interesting moment to just throw in there, just for I guess shits and giggles or something."
1: <laughs> no, well, I don't know if it shits and giggles. Oh, well, maybe a little bit it is, but I totally agree. Uh, I mean, it is an interesting moment to put in the movie, and I'm so glad you brought it up because I at least wanted to touch on this scene at the very least, and I would have forgotten. Um, is that all you have to say about the scene?
0: Uh, if you guys got more, go ahead. I was yeah, I I I don't have too much to say about it, but it definitely stood out.
1: <laughs> so, let me ask Isaac. It is obvious, right, what's going on in that scene? Or am I crazy?
0: It certainly seems obvious, yeah. Huh. How is what's the song again by The
2: Police? Uh, don't stand so close to me. There we go. <laughs> yes, it is that is that is the scene.
1: <laughs> I love that song. I love that song. Eh,
2: yeah, I, I, it's I, I'm not, like, um, sick of it, but it, I, I do believe it's overplayed, but uh, not in a bad way. Oh, not here. Okay, fair enough. Um, I Yeah, I mean, obviously there's nothing, the I don't know if there's any, if that's a gag or if that's a reference to something that happens. I was, like, if there was some, I don't know, just some, like, interloping or something like that out out of set or something like that between, like, two people, George Lucas or so I, I don't know. But, like, obviously, yeah, that's an older gentleman, like, you know, who's, you know, oh, yeah, I went to Vermont. And then, you know, he he ends up here for one semester. And then he seen this student, like, maybe it's just, you know, he's he's the guy that has high class. And here he is having an affair or not affair, but he's got a relationship with the students, which can be seen as kind of like, yeah,
0: but not great. What's your what's your read on that there, Eric? I, I guess I guess I did kind of put it in my notes to be like i wrote loss of innocence which is kind of vague i don't know why i put it that way but i was like i guess i was thinking maybe like here he is uh, kurt he's coming to the end of his high school uh experience and maybe this teacher mr wolf someone who respects him and maybe he respected now that he's coming to this uh this older age now he's seeing through the cracks and like oh even people that i respect are maybe uh, doing things that are not exactly uh appropriate there you go. So I wonder if that was just a part of the journey there, but yeah, I didn't really have much more to say for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you just said was kind of is in my second part reaction to this particular scene. Sure. Um, hmm. Because the first obvious thing is uh, like the not-so-hidden subtext, um, you know, kind of like, again, when a character says, oh, it sucks being at home, I hate my dad. Um, we all know what that means, uh, you know, like Jenny and Forrest Gump or something um, but and then this scene it 's very obvious what 's going on, like an inappropriate relationship with a teacher and a student, so on the one hand i I like its inclusion just because it further adds to the check the texture of real life and what is but yeah what 's more significant is kind of like what you were talking about, Caleb. Um, which I totally get to get a sense of as well, which is, yeah, this is a person he looks up to as a mentor. Um, and it's it's an interesting thing just to think about, like with mentors in general, um, because you can have a good mentor even if they don't walk the walk, um, you know that they talk. Uh, like how they say, like, just because a doctor is a smoker himself doesn't mean he can recommend to you not to smoke. I think that makes sense. Um, does it doesn't necessarily make him a hypocrite. But I think it's more interesting in the movie, this dynamic, in the sense that, yeah, this is one he looked up to, someone who has been like a guide to him um, throughout high school life, etc. But at the same time, it makes it seem like When a person is giving you advice and is in that type of um, role or relationship with you, that when you can see like a hint into like their flaws, their character flaws, it can also instill a sense of, I don't know, maybe everything you're saying is just bullshit. Um, Yeah. Who knows? Like, maybe you're like, not to invoke any type of um religious connotation but like a false prophet or something I, I those aren't the words i'm really going for but you know what i mean um but yeah because maybe a lot of things people say because you already kind of because you know the concept of imposter syndrome i don't know how much you guys have felt that in your own lives i've certainly had a lot of doses of it at times me too. Um, where people will tell you stuff, in, in your head and you're just like, "Yeah, okay." Or like sometimes people will compliment you, like, "Man, you're like you're doing so good, and look what you've accomplished, and you got all your shit together." I wish I had my shit together the way you do. And uh, you know, obviously, um, John experiences this in the movies too. But in your head, you're like, "You have no idea how fucked up I am."
2: Yeah, like, <laughs> you know. You're talking about me. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So I think it's kind of a like it's a moment for him to reflect and not, not just on that guy in particular, but just on all these people who are blowing smoke up his up his behind. Like maybe this is all just talk and none of it is really real. I mean, what's interesting is that this fake mentor, if we'll call him that, like he's trying to be real. And um, I mean, with his advice um, and his compliments, he's trying to be sincere Um, but it doesn't it doesn't you don't really think Kurt takes much of whatever he says to heart, which is ironic when juxtaposed against the Wolfman, weirdly similar name. Yeah, um that Wolfman actually presents his advice um in a um insincere in the sense that there's the subterfuge of I'm not really the wolfman he's somebody else. I'm just a guy here who does this job and he gives me the tapes and I just put in the tapes. And so it's weird that he's kind of set up as a, um, a less, um, honest character in a way, um, with his presentation. Um, yet I think maybe there's a, um, another metaphor going on there when he's talking about himself, almost like in the third person. Um, Because um, he's not trying to shine on Kurt. He's not trying to present like this false saccharine way of espousing wisdom or advice. Um, He's trying to um, self-deprecate himself and then just deliver the message without like the bells and whistles. And the metaphor I just thought of with the tapes that he says, oh, he puts down some things and I just put the tape in and I just play it. That's another way of almost kind of saying, not to sound religious again, but I'm just like a vessel for a message. So in a way, it's almost similar to Mr. Wolf, like, or like I was talking about the smoking doctor who tells you not to smoke. Hey, man, I'm just the messenger. This is not necessarily my wisdom. I just put in the right tape and it goes out. But you know, see what I'm saying? Like, I just, I don't know if metaphor is even the right word. But there's something poetic about the setup of that, where it's like, hey man, I'm just giving the message, that doesn't mean I've done the right thing. So it's almost a way of validating the knowledge that you're passing on, um, even if it doesn't seem like you'd be like the best source for such knowledge or wisdom. Oh my god, does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I wish I had uh, thought of all that, because that's amazing stuff, man. <laughs> Okay, don't blow smoke up my ass, but... Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Sorry. That was just a really good observation, because it's like, yeah, I didn't even realize, like, yeah, I can... I think you are onto
0: something there. Yep, yep, I agree. I, yeah, I just... I I can't really... I don't have much more to say, but...
2: Yeah, I don't know if we have anything to add here, because you pretty much said it all, so it's like, yeah, no, we... I I know I
1: had the idea in my head, it just felt clumsy clumsy for me, like, to try to explain it. Um, But, yeah, I'm glad you got what I was going for.
2: I think it's visual metaphor, analogy, whatever you want. I mean, maybe you're right, but like, yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense. I can see it.
0: I did keep glancing on my notes the whole time we were talking. I kept looking at the Mr. Wolf and the Wolfman. I was like, why Why did they put the those two names? That's so similar. But yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. and obviously um, in the movie, again, Kurt doesn't really hold much value in what Mr. Wolf is saying, but it definitely seems like he takes to heart things that come from the wolf man
0: yeah (laughs) the other wolf man though yeah and uh there's only one more thing in my notes and i'm curious what you guys are going to say about this this is a a trope that i i hate and comedies frequently do this for reasons that i'll never understand it's so cheap and adds nothing i think and that is the little title card at the end to show where all these characters went in the next i don't know decade or so or a couple of years john milner was killed by a drunk driver in december
2: 1964 terry fields was reported missing in action near Ann lock in december 1965 steve bolander is a an insurance agent in modesto california and kurt henderson is a writer living in canada
1: no, generally I like when they do this in movies. Um they oh, do no. it in different hold on. <laughs> they do it in different kinds of ways in different movies. I love the classic eighties like in Platoon at the end where they just show all the characters like having moments like without um audio where there's kind of mugging that's the different. camera. That's they do it different. like in popcorn. I know, I'm saying that's a different version of conveying something at the end. I'm a big fan of that. Um, obviously, there's a lot of based on true stories and other things where they just have like a a text um, at the end. Um, That's different with, too. Without images, I'm just saying it's, it's in, in, all in the same vein.
0: Ah uh, no, I I think they
1: I I think it's in the same vein. Um, and then a version of this which I like a lot better, um, but it's done differently, is at the end of Stand By Me. Um, it's not done on like, like on screen with visuals or text. It's just the narrator who's been narrating like the whole movie. Um it's just his voice like saying what happened to all his buddies. I think that one is is the best execution of this uh, of saying like what happened with the characters cuz the way it's done here in particular that happens sometimes uh like use this method like in comedy movies. Yes. Um, stupid comedy movies. um and it works in those movies, I guess, well yeah. certainly better than it works in this movie. Um, so yeah, the way the way they chose to present it in this movie, the information is fine, whatever, but the way it's done on screen is not good, <laughs> and it feels really amateurish in execution compared to everything else we've seen before this in the movie. Like, it almost seems like 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 a whole different, um, like an ad studio produced it who wasn't part of, like, the actual core filmmakers of the movie.
0: Yeah, like a cheap TV movie or something.
1: Yeah, 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 because it a little bit reminded me of The Brady Bunch or just when you see a trailer for a movie from the 70s or 60s and it's obviously <laughs> just made for marketing. It's not, you know, the filmmaker it just yeah, so yeah, the presentation not good. Um awkwardly inserted and presented. But if they just would have de- delivered the information in a different way, again like um Stand by Me or something, that would have been a lot better. But yeah. Uh,
0: most of the reason I, I strongly dislike this this gimmick is I never feel like it it's just like okay, you you just put that there, this this information doesn't add anything to the characters doesn't make me it doesn't make me walk away thinking about this i forget about the title cards almost immediately and i just think about the story that was given not this weird little a weird little i don't know what to call it at the end <laughs> it's just so strange i don't see how it has any value
1: i think the reason filmmakers do it i think or like in this case i think what what the idea is of including something like this is to say not only for people who grew up in this generation, because of course George Lucas made this a lot based upon like his own growing up in Southern California, coming of age. It's not just for people of Lucas's generation, but also I think a little bit for the generation that comes just after. Um, so, yeah, we're obviously talking about baby boomers and then Gen Xers. Um, I think it's to say, hey, to all of us who are boomers, Like, we all have different lives now as adults, but remember how we kind of had these things in common when we were younger, Um, but we all went our separate ways, so to speak, in life. And then the same thing for Gen Xers, to look at the older people, like the way you look at your parents or your uncles and aunts or adults in your neighborhood or whatever, your teachers, and you go, wow, you were cool once. Or, you you know, you did these kind of youthful things that I do now as a young Gen Xer. But then you just, you know, yeah. Some went to war, some were randomly killed, and you know, some just had regular, quote unquote, normal lives or whatever. Um, I think that's the whole purpose. Again, I don't agree with the execution of this movie. <laughs> but I think that's what they're going for.
0: Yeah, well, I, I I won't belabor it. I've I've said my piece. I yeah, I think it's just a cheap convention, and I don't think it. Uh, I don't think anyone walks away remembering it. Maybe it has a very brief effect for like half a second but once people are walking to the theater they're thinking about the movie they're not thinking about that stupid little tag at the end
1: again I not done well here but if it's done right I do like it when it's done right and people I've seen memes about Stand By Me now how um, the way they describe the futures of of the boys when they grow up um, in the movie um, to some degree mirrors what happened to the Actual actors when they grew up Because you had the same thing Where like the one Was killed at a young age Or died at a young age um, One went a bit nuts um, And the other one just kind of Turned out kind of normal
0: Well, I, I didn't want to say this Because I didn't want to believe this again for too long But I do discount the Stand By Me as well Because that has it's whole kind of Wrap around narrator It's an actual part of the story The fact that it takes place years later it's not just a tagged on. Oh, yeah, of
1: course. Yes, of course. Of course. It would be weird if an No, no. Again, yeah, that's because it's, it's done correctly. I'm not saying it would be good if a narrator just came in in this movie, because obviously that wouldn't make any sense either. Yeah, it has to be constructed right for yeah. for the movie at hand, certainly.
0: Yeah, my only point is I feel like the things you're talking about don't necessarily relate to the convention that I'm complaining about. They're, they're separate.
1: I, I, I get it. Um, oh, and I, yeah, the movie, the other movie that came out uh, at the same time as the sequel was um, Life of Brian. Um, so, oh. yeah, Life Life and Brian and Apocalypse Now, like, destroyed the sequel of this movie at the box office. Fair enough. Um, it still turned a modest profit because it was such a low-budget movie to begin with, the sequel. But still, it was, like, certainly didn't have, like, the payoff that this movie had um, <laughs> when it came out. Um, and I'll oh. only bring it up because, again... No one really cares too much about the sequel. It's I, I watched more than half of it today. I hadn't seen it in forever. Um, it's not a great movie. It's not a terrible movie. Like it's watchable. Definitely has a lot of issues though. Um, but one thing I found interesting because I had forgotten about the little Dune do, do Mall or whatever you want to call it at the end of this movie um, because the sequel takes place over the span of 1964 to 1967. Um they definitely um I wouldn't say constrained, but they definitely keep it canon by even though they go by those different year time periods in the sequel, they definitely maneuver so that they don't discount the little messages at the end of this movie. If you know what
0: I mean. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> The
1: only sad thing about the sequel is that practically every character reprises their role or every significant speaking character reprises their role in the sequel, all except Kurt. And that sucks.
0: Hey, he moved to Canada. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That
1: really sucks though. Cause he's the one you probably want to check in the most with in the sequel. And you get like everybody else practically, um, even some of the minor characters. Um, uh, and, um, what was the thing I was going to say about that? Um, even, um, and I, I was going to talk about him more in this movie. The guy who was like the leader or whatever you want to call him of the pharaohs um, of all the actors are casting in this movie. Not that he was bad in this movie. Um, it's just, he had that kind of look and face that he totally looks like a random black hat from like a Western movie. From the 60s or 70s. Um, and so that would like. Constantly take me out of it. Because I felt like a guy walked off the set of a western. And then assumed the role of head pharaoh. In this movie. Hmm. And so that was just like a little bit weird for me. But yeah.
2: I took him more as like the dark version. Of John. Like John going down like a, a dark path. Even though. I mean okay yeah he's still the But even though in the end he accepted. Kurt for who he was. Uh, and how kind of creative and quick thinking he was on his feet later on. And that he actually did come through. But yeah, I kind of saw those three as like uh, the dark versions of Kurt's friends um, instead.
1: We don't get that much into Harrison Ford's character in this movie. But I he seemed like the obvious foil to me of John.
2: There is
0: that too. Mm-hmm.
1: Even though, again, he's not as developed. Yeah, there is There is
2: that.
0: Yeah, let's we should probably start to wind it down. This is going so much longer than I would have ever imagined for this movie. I'm surprised. <laughs> um, but at least with, with the end card, sorry, Caleb,
2: I just, like, maybe the, sure. maybe this is, like, a like obvious observation and kind of brain-dead and it's like, okay, well, obviously. I assumed the title card... I actually thought of this as well throughout the movie. I'm like, is this movie going to have title cards at the end about, like, here, where are they now? And it no, turns out they were. Uh, they did. I was just assuming, like, this is the ultimate fate of these characters, and it's like, oh... Well, at least we saw John was able to, you know, kind of have some good stuff happen to him before he died. At least in this case, we don't know what happens two years later. But And Locke, I don't know where that is for in regards to Terry, but like, is that combat so like did he go into the army later on or, or what? Yes. I yes. figured okay. Yeah, if you don't mind Eric, I literally don't know what that is. What what is, uh, what is that referring to?
1: what did they say AWOL or what did they say? I can't remember
2: what lock, like A N then L O C. Is that like unknown location or anonymous location?
1: Oh, okay, hold on. Yeah. No ANLOC is not a term or acronym I'm familiar with in the military. But I I definitely took it as um He's, like, missing in action.
0: Yeah, probably Vietnam. I was thinking that, too. It's, like... Oh, know.
1: it's definitely... It's 100% Vietnam. And, yeah, you can see this in the sequel if you want to know how it all turned wow. out. I, I
2: <laughs> Much like uh, 2001, I'm going to avoid talking about the sequel to this. Just... I'll let it get us on the no, side.
1: I just meant not talking about it, but if anyone wanted to know... Yes, that's fair. You could see it depicted on screen if you want. But
2: basically what I'm saying is that the the... Yeah, like, these... You know t- texts basically kind of i guess drive the point home of you know what the character arcs were and what the whole movie was about for these four characters um and how yeah Steve basically just decided flip it i'll I'll remain in like i i assume it's modesto uh we'll just stay here for his, the rest of his life uh potentially, and Kurt just goes to another country, I'm still surprised by that, I'm like, huh, okay.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's weird, I mean, thinking about having these messages at the end of this movie, because when Sean and I were discussing The Graduate um, a couple months ago, it was something I was thinking about with that movie, The Graduate, that you, I get it, Dustin Hoffman and the girl and whatever, they're dealing with all this stuff with their coming of age in that movie, um, you know, transitioning into early adulthood. Um, and I was... I was saying during that conversation, it's funny to think about all this mundane stuff that is like your entire world when you're that age. Um, but I was like, but look what's gonna happen. Like, um, you know, uh Dustin Hoffman or his friends, like they could get um involved in the war and and go down that whole path and, and all this stuff will seem so moot um later in life when you're dealing with real life situations you'll think back on, on your times coming of age, like, Oh wow. You know, I thought that was the be all end all time of my life, but I had no idea like how much the world was going to change and everything.
2: Unless Kurt's reason to moving to Canada is because he was avoiding Vietnam.
1: That's what I assumed. I assumed, I assumed that was the obvious message they were conveying.
2: See, this is maybe this is ignorance or whatnot, but I wouldn't have known that. Cause well, it's not taught in our history about that, or at least I'm not. I wasn't familiar with that until years later.
1: Yeah, here it's just part of pop culture from movie, television, etc. Or at least for people my age, not for young people. But yeah, that I, the, the total um, implication is that he fled the draft by going to Canada. That that that's what you're meant to assume.
2: And now, yeah, now knowing this, it's that's how Cheech met Chong.
1: Right and I was going to bring them up. It's uh, almost in this, because in the WKRP aspect of, um, of that 70s show um, Chong is like the actor involved in that part of that show.
2: That does. Yeah. yeah that yeah, that, make, that makes sense. But the, there was this random one, by the way, i sorry. I didn't, shouldn't have pointed this out, but there's this like random bank in the background there where it says like California Canadian bank. I'm like, what the hell is that supposed to be about?
1: No idea, but definitely back in the day, there was so many more independent banks everywhere in this country. Um, it's become like the phone companies and whatnot where everything Let's see. is consolidated over time. But back in the day, oh, man, there was so many private, unique branches of all different types of banks all over like different towns and cities. Yeah, it just doesn't exist nowadays anymore.
0: Far out,
2: man. Informative. Uh, Caleb, anything
0: else, sir? Oh, I've been ready for final thoughts for a while.
2: Alright. So, well, no, we we can't do final thoughts yet 'cause we go we have the final act. We have we have the last thing that, uh, like I said before, uh connects almost everybody's stories together, and that is uh Harrison Ford and uh, what's going on there. So throughout the entire thing, like I said, in the setup we had Toad, you know, meet with, you know, Harrison Ford's character and he's wanting to he's wanting to race John. He wants to he wants to race John and prove his worth. Now I initially thought when they had their little um race in the uh in the strip there i was like or that strip but in the um in the city excuse me uh i was like oh so he won he just then that's it it's like wow he just he just let him win it's like because he ran that red light and like geez and no i guess they actually were gonna have like a legit race it's like okay i see what you mean it's just the point of like showing how fast this vehicle could go and it's actually over like faster than you think it is i literally like turned away from my screen looked at it again it's like holy smokes i mean that's I guess that's realistic in a way of like, yeah, a car crash can happen that fast, but you know, this whole time, you know, John, like, especially for John, he's been, and people have been saying like, oh, he's the fastest one. Like, like you said, Caleb before, which, whichever guy said that. And, you know, all culminates in like the only explosion in the entire film. I'd say I'm surprised by that. Um, realistic, I'll at least say maybe, uh, where his, out of, out of nowhere, like the Millennium Falcon itself breaking down in episode five. Um, yeah, the vehicle just either stops, something happens, and fl- oh, and the caveat to that is that Lori is also inside the vehicle, so it's like
0: oh, lovely, um, and that's the end. Caleb, okay, thoughts on that? Uh, I very briefly, I think it was a, a good end. I liked John's uh, frustration just knowing the fact that he would have lost if it hadn't been for that error, and I, I like the uh, the smug Harrison Ford. The whole movie, this yeah, this this guy thinks his he's he's great just immediately fucks up i think that's fun too
2: yeah um oh and also you could clearly see i know uh steve has it in his in his um in his vehicle but you can clearly see there's a skeleton in uh on harrison's or yeah on harrison's um uh rearview mirror and i love that steve has dice yeah on his mirror sorry i just had the point of that um
1: yeah that's nice no that's that's nice to bring up
2: yeah no so that's that, that that happened eric any thoughts on that or
1: yeah no yeah i agree with caleb i i just i think it's a perfect ending for the events of the movie i think it's a very way to close it out very great way it's a nice ending it's tidy it's neat what was interesting for me watching it today was because i remember the ending obviously but what i couldn't remember was who crashed so I was going into the scene with anticipation, but not knowing if it was going to be John or um, I can't remember his name. um, The other one who crashes. Uh, So that was, that made it kind of exciting for me today because I had no idea which way that was going to go. But no, it's, it's really fantastic. Um, And I also thought about, I think it's right before we get the stupid message about what happened later. But one of the final shots I think of the film is um steve with his arm around uh lori and as they're walking off um you can see the um the sunrise coming up there like over their shoulder hmm. and i was just thinking of it as being not only symbolic for the film obviously um but just reminding me of the closing shot of thx 1138
0: no oh, that's fair yeah i could i felt a little bit of that too yeah i i could see that too um, But, yeah, I guess let's go through final thoughts, hopefully quickly, because this is the end of our Road to Star Wars series. I was hoping to do a little bit of a, a recap on our thoughts in the three films, maybe rank them. Or maybe not. We, maybe we don't have time for that now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I guess starting with, with you, Eric, what's your final thoughts for this?
1: Um, Really, I just want to say that I just think it's an incredible, incredible film. It's not one that I rewatch a lot because I rewatch fast times or or um days to confuse a heck of a lot more but that doesn't mean i like it less per se or that i think it's not as good as those it's just not as rewatchable for me oh i forgot to mention about the prank with the police car and the axle i haven't i didn't confirm this but i it could be an urban legend but i think because of this movie there was a lot of copycat um antics um from this movie um with people trying to duplicate that scene in real life um with the cop car um but anyway uh it's it's a bona fide classic um I, it's probably one of those first movies i don't know what, when they started doing this practice but like preserving movies and like in the in the um uh what do they call it um i don't even know what it's called the library of, the
0: Con- yeah library of congress i think
1: yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those big time movies like in that type of archive. Uh, I think it's very well deserved. Um this movie again probably had even like so much more influence on many movies to come, like m- much more so than uh THX 1138 did for its genre. Um it's just incredible and it and it, it's also incredible that George Lucas doesn't have more notable films to his name post star wars um because it just seems like this guy has such a great eye for filmmaking in general or storytelling in general um yeah i i it's an incredible movie i there's not much more i can say about that
2: oh isaac yeah, for the the movie itself, I'm impressed. I'm I'm definitely feeling it. That's a that's a that's a sign flip for I'm feeling it, and definitely want to watch this one again uh, in the future. And would recommend everybody to watch it. Um, again, like I said, it's it's. it's I had I had I know like for instance I know Killed and I watched this earlier this year but like when we watched Rock and Roll High School that was a lot of fun that was that was a lot of fun and a lot better version of that like teen comedy aspect than the ones I mentioned like Animal House or Fast Times at Ridgemont High those ones are oh yes yeah those ones are a little bit like yeah not not they're not my up my alley i'll say that but this and obviously this and rock and roll high school they're going for two different things and they're yes. two different kind of genres so uh but both are really feel feel good movies for me uh in that sense so yeah i would definitely uh yeah prove this one and say to people yeah go go out and watch this and um yeah, as for as for um you know this this mini lucas retrospective yeah star wars really did change him unfortunately because i i kind of agree with eric maybe caleb you're gonna bring us down a bit and ground us a little bit yeah but there, like as as for, for maybe like francis Forcopa coppola like was seeing or whoever it was his peers there was something to lucas he did have you know an eye for either detail or, or the camera and not literally of course but like there, there was you know he had some things to him and I kind of wish that he did other genres potentially to see, you know, see what else he could have brought to the table and be like, all right, yeah, why not? Cause he literally like, this is so in a way I was thinking, like it's so weird. He did like THX, which is like pure science fiction. And then he does this. It's like, this is the same man. It's like, wow, that's, that's really impressive. That's kind of, that's, that's, that's really cool that he's able to like go into uh, different genres. And that's, I think that was telling of a director If then be able to go into any genre and, you know, bring either something new to the table, different lens, or at least, you know, just be comfortable in it. And I, I don't, I, man, he felt comfortable in this. Maybe there's, I don't know, there's some uncomfortability there. But, like, I'm I'm amazed uh, at this. So, I'm not going to rank either of them, but I'm definitely feeling both of these films. So, and I guess what I'm saying is, in a way, um, the original Star Wars trilogy was a mistake for, for Lucas, I mean.
1: Um, if I could just inject a few more things before Caleb... Uh gets his opportunity real quick um i really wanted to at least touch upon the picture quality of this of this movie now in modern times just because yeah i saw the dvd and the dvd was perfectly fine um for when it came out it was it was good um but when we saw thx and i couldn't believe like how well it was preserved or remastered or however you want to describe it i did not think this movie was going to look the way it did because I guess I'm assuming I'm watching a streaming version of the 4k um update and I thought the picture quality of this movie was going to be more similar to like um Clockwork Orange so this new I'm assuming 4k remaster is absolutely stellar love it um and what you were saying about how maybe Star Wars maybe ruined Lucas um I've always said this about lucas i think it's even more true now and i've said it about certain other filmmakers it seems like like peter jackson comes to mind but it seems like lucas like many others their best work is when they had less to work with like budget wise etc
2: preach yeah and and
1: that's part of what makes like the earliest star wars movies like the best because they or compared to the prequels or whatever because the ingenuity that comes out of limitations. And I think that's what made Lucas so good in his early films. And I think that's probably the number one issue with his later films is when he has quote unquote godlike powers of money. And and there's other filmmakers who fall into this trap too. And I think that's what it really boils down to. And one day I will watch Red Tails because I never have and I've always intended to. But one of these days and I'm curious what that one's like.
2: And Strange Magic. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. And Rise of the Guardians or whatever that um, uh, CGI film they produced was.
2: No, that Strange Magic.
1: Oh, that Strange Magic. My bad. Yeah. Okay, I got it mixed up. But anyway, sorry. I just had to...
2: Caleb, your final thoughts on American Graffiti and then your final thoughts on this like duology of Lucasfilm or Lucas-directed uh, movies.
0: Yeah, um, I think for a type of genre that I really have no interest in, um, I think that this one succeeds more than other ones do, but still not enough to say that this is something that I'm going to be returning to much, or if at all. Um, I think the stuff that I like in it, I like quite a bit, especially the Kurt and um, Terry plots. I think that stuff is, is great. And the John stuff. Um, but yeah, th- it's just this just not my type of movie. I don't really return to this kind of stuff. Um, and I yeah, I probably won't return to this. Uh, but um, you mentioning seeing the the potential of George Lucas as a filmmaker outside of Star Wars, yeah, I, I think he did a really good job flexing a different kind of muscle, and the the sentimentality in this one I think is handled in a really nice way. I was thinking a little bit because of Richard Dreyfus being in here of the Spielberg, more sentimental type of movies, and I always just feel like he hams it up into the extreme and loses some of that more grounded. Uh, real world feel. Everything feels like it's too artificial. I don't really feel that with this movie. I feel like the the characters all feel real. The emotions feel well and, and grounded and naturally uh, developed. So it is a shame that he never really moved on beyond Star Wars as a filmmaker. I mean, he did his little, like, uh, hand up the ass producing for a couple random things here or there. I don't really know if any of them were really successful. I've still never seen that Radioland uh, murders as well, but I know that that one's another one where he was very hands-on. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's my biggest takeaway from this little brief series, is what a shame that the original Star Wars was such a, a difficult job for him that he kind of gave up directing after that. Because I, I feel like we could have got a lot of great movies out of him.
1: And one wonders, like the loose parallels, like the coppola's directing career Hmm. where same like his first movies are so incredible they're so groundbreaking for their respective genres um and then he just doesn't have much notable after that point he has tons of passion projects yeah there's dracula but but none of it is like the early version of him
0: hey dracula is great (laughs) that is a really great movie (laughs) but
1: <laughs> I will, I, will no, I don't think it's terrible but I'll have to revisit it one day cuz that's that's another one I haven't seen in a million years.
0: Yeah, and a lot of directors do just it, they lose whatever creative spirit they once had or or it changes and they become a different kind of filmmaker. But if I was going to pick my my favorite of these three, I do think it's probably The Hidden Fortress. Um for the Lucas ones, the THX 1138, I feel every time I go back to it I like it more. But the Hidden Fortress, discovering that was just... Oh, I feel like that's a movie I'm definitely going to be returning to uh, again and again. Maybe more so than the other two. But
1: I agree. I, or at least Hidden Fortress is my favorite of these three for sure. And it was almost a little bit of a mini-revelation to revisit after all these years. And I'm still simping for the princess to this day. Um, <laughs> really, she's absolutely incredible. Um, however when it comes to the lucas stuff in particular thx was a surprise but american graffiti is like a bona fide classic to me and for its influence on filmmaking and the genre uh i think it's just as um important to film history as star wars is just in in its lane
0: Hmm. yeah and overall i think this was quite a little successful series thank you uh eric for joining me and isaac and And Isaac, thank you for waiting for so long for me to book this thing. Three years it's taken me to to put it on the schedule.
2: (laughs) But well, time flew by. So there you go. (laughs) I I appreciate that.
1: I have no idea why this happened. I mean, I know the backstory behind baseball, but still, I don't even know how this happened. Um, But that being said, I never would have chosen to do this myself. But having done it, it's been a delight.
0: Awesome.
2: Yeah, I would not have. uh pictured this happening uh, in this case but yeah thank you Caleb for having us finally do it Uh, but now we have well well, not really because we have one more thing we got to do there's just one more thing that Mm. uh, we have to do before you know this series is complete and that is to watch Star Wars 1977 so join us next time ladies and gentlemen those in between and affiliated when we have the Herculean task for the second time for us (laughs) to return to that film. And hopefully we have something to bring to the table. There you go. (laughs) Till next time. Peace. And as the stinger, uh, I looked it up. I was incorrect, of course, about uh, Richard or yeah, Richard Dreyfus uh, being in 2010, the year we made contact. It was actually the character I was thinking of was the Doctor, the computer scientist, excuse me, who handles Hal in that one. Um, but the actor by the name of Bob. Bala Ban, I believe that's, oh. that's who. Uh, that's okay. that's who I was thinking. I mean, they look they may they look alike. They literally I can like see it. Yeah, look identical when they have glasses on. But anyway, so that was that was who I was thinking of. So I apologize over uh, mistaking Richard Drewe because I thought yeah him and Rich Schneider were uh, in the same film together again, which is like oh that was kind of cool. But it turns out I was incorrect. Schneider. Everyone always says Schneider with him. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 Schneider. People assume it's Schneider because it's like, oh, you've heard it once, you've heard it many many times. Schneider. It's like, apologies.